Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. You're an interesting species, an interesting mix. You're capable of such beautiful dreams and such horrible nightmares. You feel so lost, so cut off, so alone, only you're not. See, in all our searching, the only thing we've found that makes the emptiness bearable is podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I didn't know you had a a Morse lock. I didn't know I had a Morse uh... too. That was great. That was that was just wonderful. Sometimes I look at the quotes page and I dry run it in my head and I go, do I think I have the voice? But I don't know until I, I start saying it out loud. That's a decent Morse, all considering. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good, actually. He's, he's one of those. He surprisingly has a thing, Morse. Yeah. Jamie, have you ever worked with Morse? Have you ever done a Morse? I've never done a Morse. I've never done an Inspector Morse either. Oh. Uh, David knows what that is, obviously. I do. Yeah. I do. Um, Wait, no, I've never second. been. I've I'm, never been Morsed. Never been Morsed. I'm just. I'm very confused for one second. What is hmm. the unifying thread that would make it so that the two of you knew who Detective Morse was, but I wouldn't. He, for one, it's, it's Inspector Morse, not Detective Morse. Yeah, so yeah, you're already saying, messed yeah, up there. Yeah, but how do yeah. you know that? How do you... There might be a British Isles thing about it. There might be a United Kingdom thing about it, potentially. I don't want to, you know... Famously said in, uh, in Oxford, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Am I making that mm-hmm. up? I think, I think you might be right, in the good old country of England. Right, in England. Uh, and we both, we both sort of spent sure. some time there. We yeah, both yeah. sort of grew up there. To be honest with you, I think you probably spent about the same amount of time as me there, because I left ages ago. That's probably true. Thirteen years for me, and I feel like it's probably not that different it's, for it's, you, it's right? It's about the same for me, actually. Yeah. Yeah. But wait a second. Yeah. Occam's Razor states that the most likely scenario is often the correct one. Mm. Okay. Yeah. What are the sure. chances that you and I have been podcasting for five years and I never knew that you grew up in the United Kingdom? Close to you're zero, asking my friend. Me, you're asking me to put faith in the notion based with no evidence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you grew up in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I did, as did our guest. Uh, but our guest never did a Morse and he never worked with the Morse. But he never talked we love the Morse. The Morse. Yeah. He's great. He's, he's great, Morse. He's great. He's great. Yeah. This movie's got a lot of they're great people. I mean, Fickner is one of the all-time he's great. Oh, yeah. I did yeah. work with Fickner. I have worked with Fickner. When did you work with Fickner? Um, yes, I worked with Fickner on a movie which maybe has the worst title in the history of film. It was a film called The Chum Scrubber. Oh, sure. Oh, of course. That's right. Yes. A Sundance classic. And uh, he, I think, if I remember correctly, he played my therapist father. In that wow, movie. both double whammy. Oh, oh uh, right, yeah. right. He, uh, yeah, I have yeah. seen the Trump's cover. Um, uh, if I can just contest your claim for a second, Jamie, uh, I once appeared in a movie that when we shot it, it was titled Samaritan. I was told that I was being uh-huh. paid $100 to appear in a movie called Samaritan, and then four years later, it showed up on Amazon Video titled Butt Whistle. So I would argue that's almost <laughs> the worst title of a movie. <laughs> That has ever existed? Sure. I mean, had you known that it was butt whistle? I mean, I don't know. Maybe you would have been in it. 
I would have asked for $150 at least. <laughs> That's I like could. hazard yeah. pay sure, I think yeah. for being in a movie called Butt Whistle. Yeah. Gotta give me that butt whistle bump. Fickner, you're right, Griffin. This movie is filled with guys. Scare it. Yeah. You know, I feel like, you know, Angela Bassett. John, John Hurt. Hurt, of course. Rob Lowe exclusively on television, right? Like, no, he do does we even one he has one scene, room right? Scene. Yeah, he has yeah. He's got a scene. He's got a scene at a table. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but it's a real cameo role. That role, but a a lot of those. I feel like this is a movie where I forget yeah. that so many other big name actors are in it because it was promoted so exclusively as like Foster McConaughey. That yes. then you're like, man, James Woods is in a bunch of this. Angela Bassett's in a bunch of this. Uh, Rob Woods. Lowe's like uncredited. We have to do a Woods minute because I, I love him in this movie. I, I, he's, I really, he wrestles inside of me, James you Woods. You want to get lost I, in the woods? I do. I mean, okay. But, <laughs> but this is the post-Gump movie. So it yeah. makes sense, right? Anyone who gets called is probably like, oh, sure. Zemeckis? Like, yeah, I'll swing in. I don't care. This is also a, a $90 million budget in 1997. Yeah, right. Uh, so I just imagine that they go to Rob Lowe and they're like, we have like three scenes. Two of them are fragments on a TV interview. We can only pay you $250,000. <laughs> is that okay? I'm so sorry. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. All right, Griff. Griff, introduce our podcast. Introduce our guests. We're off the rails. Sure. We're off the rails. We're off to the races. Uh, the the orb has dropped into the ocean, and it feels like no time has passed at all. But in fact, right. we've already been podcasting for two hours. Uh, folks, this is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. My name's Griffin. I'm David. Uh, and it's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. And sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce into the ocean. Baby, this right. is a miniseries on the films of Robert Zemeckis. It is called Podcast Away. And th- this is kind of arguably the biggest, the purest blank check. I mean, this is I, such a, there's, there's the specific category of the, the immediate Oscar follow-up. We've covered a handful of those. Right, we have, right. Right, it's like, it, it, it's not necessarily their most expensive movie or their weirdest movie. But it's the movie where they strategically say, like, I want to make the thing that either A, I could only make or make at this size or in this way right after winning an Oscar. Or B, it's like, I just want the freedom where I can make this and they have to back the fuck off. You know, it's also it's like a a project that was long tortured, long, you know, in gestation, passed from director to director and he gets to come aboard and be like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do whatever I want. And the studio that has been resistant to even making this movie has to just be like, well, all right. All right. All right. Yeah. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. You made Gump. And it's a hit. I would say a hit. For a movie like this, it's a hit. It's one of those films. It was kind of like right on the cusp where it was like no one lost money. Yeah. And the expectations were either it was going to be a colossal flop or a huge blockbuster. And it kind of landed right in the middle. I mean, I don't want to jump ahead to, uh, you know, the old box office game at the end of this, but I would say it's second week. If you look at those numbers, it's pretty extraordinary in terms of the drop-off. It's such a minimal drop-off 
Yes, for a movie right, this size, right. it's a great second weekend, which I think great says a lot weekend. about Jodie's, says a lot about the, mm-hmm. you know, the movie as a whole. I mean, it's, for a movie this scale to come out and it opens against something pretty strong, if I'm not mistaken, right? And then to we'll, have we'll those, so yeah, those second week legs is pretty extraordinary. Are you a huge box office nerd? Is is this yeah. like something I? Yeah, wow, love yeah, it. talking about drop offs. <laughs> Love the numbers, but I am a little bit upset. Well, more than a little bit upset. So upset about this box office mojo thing. It is. I mean, it's. it's I know it's like old hat news, old news, and everything. But like, what the fuck? If you if you listen to our swing shift episode, which is the episode in which I call up the, you know, like I do my usual routine, box office mojo is has suddenly changed. And I don't know what to do. You can hear the panic in my voice. Where I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't under, I don't, I, I don't know what we're going to do now. We truly, they, uh, Audio Boom bumped us to a smaller studio that week because they had double booked space. And Griffin then Box Office Mojo was nerfed while we were oh, recording. God. And David and I walk out of it and we're like, well, that's the worst episode we've ever done. It's unreleasable. <laughs> it was pretty good. And then episode. you listen back to it and it's totally <laughs> normal. But we were just on like existential panic, like white knuckling, yeah. driving our nails into the table, just being like everything we know has been upended. The numbers is, you know. I use the numbers It's now. okay. Right. It's, it's okay. Fine. But it's not as good. Like the layout yeah. of the old one was so nice. It was so Absolutely. easy. It's very fussy, the numbers. It's got lots of little, you know, text that you kind of have to know exactly where to go. I'm looking at Box Office Mojo now. I haven't looked in a while. I mean, it's all right, I guess. It looks like they've done a little Mm. work on it, but it's not great. I mean, they they messed it up. And unfussy before. And just my favorite pastime was there was the drop down menu of adjust to today's dollars, but you could also pick any other year. So I would do that mental exercise of like, what? How much would Interstellar gross the same year as Independence Day? Like, I would do all those thoughts experiments, you know? Like, would Avengers even cross $100 million in 1975? Like, I do the reverse. All that's gone. Gone. Gone, like vapor and smoke. Um, But anyway. Anyway. Our our guest. Our guest today is a big fucking box office nerd. He is also one of the best actors of his generation. Uh, and someone we've been trying to get on the podcast for a very, very long time because he uh, implausibly listens to this show. Uh, mm. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you know him from Billy Elliot, uh, from Turn Washington Spies, uh, from many hey. projects, but most uh, prominently, he's motherfucking Tintin, uh, Jamie <laughs> Bell. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Guys, it's such an honor. And I know that, as you said, we have tried so many times for me to be on this podcast. And it just hasn't yes. worked out for various different reasons. So I really do appreciate And I, I, you know, having the chance to come on now and to speak about a film that it, I, it's such a, my relationship with this movie is so interesting because I watched it again recently. I obviously saw it for the first time as a child and, and had a certain reaction to it then. And I react mm. to it so differently now. And I watched it obviously very uh, recently to prepare for this. And just for some context, I mean, we are, it is the day before the election. The it day is. before it the is. election. It's just so interesting that in this movie, the central idea of this is they're receiving something, a message that is going to change everything about how we live. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. And right. literally within 24 hours or less, I mean, hopefully maybe yeah. more, uh, everything is about to change. <laughs> the way Absolutely. We live. No, because right. We're recording this the day before the election. It will come mm. out like five days after the election. And mm-hmm. we don't know if this episode is going to be released into like an apocalyptic, uh, apocalyptic hellscape, a state of relief, 
or mm-hmm. a state of greater confusion. It's mm. like it's it's and I don't want to uh, make any further jokes uh, uh, putting uh, my bets on any one of those three outcomes. But mm-hmm. but it is a very interesting movie to watch in that light. I was thinking about how Arrival came out the Friday after the election. And like, oh, that's right. That's right. Right. I remember that. And it underperformed. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Overperformed that weekend at the box office. And then similarly kind of like sleeper held to a hundred million dollars which no one thought that movie was going to be a blockbuster of that order and Mm. then became like a fucking best picture best director nominee and people were like this kind of feels like the movie that speaks to this feeling most uh and this movie is an interesting counterpart to that um but but coming from the opposite side where it was so hyped there was so much pressure on it but it wasn't maybe speaking to a cultural moment in that same way. That's the other thought I had was like Arrival was made for like what like 40 million dollars like I, I feel think like 40 that, 50 yeah right. in, that in movie that range, was yeah. like independently produced and then Paramount uh, acquired it and it was like you know they were ready for it to be like a modest performer and then it became like something more and this movie cost 90 million dollars and you're like it probably would be produced for an arrival style number today with movie stars taking pay cuts and you know a scrappy VFX team because in terms of what the big money effect shots in this movie they mm. are somewhat quaint by today's standards and there're not many sequences that are that expensive the first shot of the film, right, is probably the most yes. visual effects heavy, which is the zoom out from Earth and just keeps passing back and back and back and back right. and beyond the Milky Way and, be- and all that stuff. I mean, in terms of like other sequence, the wormhole sequence, obviously, which we'll get to. Right. But other than that, I mean, I mean, I guess the machine. But there's it's not a it's, movie where it's it a has talky dazzling. movie, yes. right? It's a it's yeah. talky. It's feelings. It's yeah. You know, philo- philosophical. Like it, it's not a movie where Zemeckis is like, "I'm going to flex a new visual muscle," mm. although he does pull off some some little moments that that do kind of like knock you on your feet, which off your feet, which I love. Like that, mm. that I do, I do love that he can't yeah. help but do well, the incredibly. Yeah, yeah, the mirror shot. I'm just thinking about yeah. the mirror shot. Yeah. It's so funny that because the, the, the mirror shot is like so re- like such a reference point for this movie in terms of its magic and its its trickery. Mm-hmm. It yeah. kind of comes in a section of the movie kind of pretty early on. Early. And then nothing really else kind of happens in terms of like his 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 magic tricks stuff until much, much later totally. in the film. So it's right. It's in terms of Zemeckis, it's it's very uh in his work, it feels very restrained from him, really. Totally. Maybe no, I think inarguably his most restrained movie. And I don't know mm. if that's I, I think Allied's his most restrained movie, but I think this is number two. Right. Oh, Allied. Yeah, well, Allied is very, very buttoned down. But it people like fuck in a car in that movie, and there's like a sandstorm. Like it has some. This. It has I, some. You know, some drama. This might be Zemeckis's least horny movie. <laughs> it's a little matter of fact about well, sex. People still have sex in know. it. You know, you got McConaughey yeah. at his prettiest. I, I made a note because I've made some notes because that's what oh, I mean, you know. Yeah, baby, yeah, I made some notes. I made a note that says. McConaughey is a priest who loves to fuck. Uh, true, because true. one of his lines is one of his lines is, "Yeah, I couldn't handle the whole celibacy thing." Uh, you could call me a man of the cloth without the cloth. That's his defining characteristic. It's too <laughs> horny to be a priest. He just he doesn't want to give he doesn't want to give it up. I can't give He's it like, up. I'm not doing it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, we gotta we gotta have a big a big summit about McConaughey because this is this is it. This is the I guess a time to kill was the previous year. Time to kill's the breakout, and That's this was the their like right. anointment. Like here you go, now you're one of the guys. And then I feel like this kind of benches him for a couple. It of years. does. The, the people were kind of like, I don't know if I like if I like what this guy's giving me. Well, he has the Newton Boys the next year. Right. And Ed TV the next year, which of course is one of the great performances of the 90s. Sure. But but is a movie that is very much the bridesmaid to Truman oh, yeah. Show. Oh, right. God. Ja- Jamie, have you seen Ed TV? No, I haven't seen Ed TV. But isn't that it's kind a of a pr- I mean, is Truman Show before or after that? It's Truman it's Show's a before. Year after. Yeah. Truman Show's a year Ed after? T- no, Ed no, TV's Ed a year TV's after. the year after. Yeah. Because I remember Ed TV was supposed to come out like four months later and they pushed it back a year mm. because they were so worried about the Truman Show thing. It was a March release. You know, they 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 were in positioning Ed TV for Oscars. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, uh, McConaughey, incredible in it. Anyway. But McConaughey for this dropped out of the Jackal to do this, right? right? Like he, had wow. the, he held the lead role for the Jackal, dropped out yeah. and did this instead. Wait, the, the, was he going to play the Jackal or was he going to yeah, play it, uh, it was, it was, the gear role or whatever? Uh, he was the lead. Right. But yeah, I mean, right. you, you, would, you would do it, right? I, I think you would. If this was on the, it's Zemeckis, it's Foster. Um, yeah. yeah. It's a huge budget. It's based on a, a best-selling book. Yeah. I mean, it's a kind of bit of a no-brainer, really. It's just the role isn't right for it's, him. It's undercooked. I think. Also, yeah, I, yeah. I just feel like it, it. the movie doesn't serve it totally well. I think it also, like, he's a guy where it took, weirdly, a long time for him to totally understand how to use himself on screen. He's one of those mm. guys who just, like, always was unquestionably charismatic and appealing but his persona is so slippery in so many ways there's so many odd contradictory things going on that it's like when you put him in a lead role you got to have a really deft hand to know how to use the way the audience is going to respond to him moment to moment i i i wonder i mean he it's post so this is this year he has contact and amistad so he's working with spielberg and zemeckis in the same year you're the guy you're the guy yeah. Um. And right. I mean, I think Contact's a good movie, but I guess both those movies are like seen as slightly underwhelming follow-ups to you know colossal movies from these right. big directors, right? You know, like right. so, so. And then after the Newton Boys and Ed TV and U five seven one, which like he's fine in, but you sure. Know, then then he has his whole. I'll just do like kind of like fun trash, like, you know, wedding planner, right. Uh, how to lose a guy in 10 days, Sahara, you know, two for the money failure to launch like that. Just that kind of like, what? I'll just do like easy breezy stuff. And I don't know if that's a conscious thing or if that's just what's, you know, coming across his desk. Or I don't know how that works. I remember there being, I think it was a New York times review when how to lose a guy in 10 days came out, which was, I guess the second of that run after wedding planner. Yeah. And they went like, finally, it took Hollywood a decade to figure out what kind of movie star McConaughey was, but they've nailed it. He's the sort of like lovable cad in the rom-com. Right. And it felt like they were just like, fuck it, all in, push all in. And then he would do shit like Two for the Money or Sahara that were kind of like, this feels like his interests. Like these feel like his passion projects where he's like, <laughs> I like gambling or rock climbing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. And I... I, I think he's a very sincere person like and he's best when he's sincere like I love him in like uh, you know well the movies everyone loves him Magic Mike and Mud and Wolf of Wall Street and Interstellar mm, like mm. that he's being very like 
sort of just sort of straightforward and kind of like mystically sincere in those movies. But what's the unifying thread between those three roles you said in particular? The movie is kind of structured around like you constantly questioning whether or not you can trust this guy in mm. different ways. Like Bright mm. Mud, it's like, is this guy like an outlaw? Is he dangerous? Right, right, right. Magic Mike is like, is this guy a scam artist? Is he on the right. level? Is he going to fuck me over? And Interstellar is like, where do his allegiances lie with family? He, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. He abandoned his kids. Yeah, he abandoned. And his in Wolf of Wall Street, he's basically like he's like a demon. Like you know, I mean, I love <laughs> right. him in that movie, but he's like you know, he's otherworldly. He comes in, he sings a song, he like tempts him into this dark world, then he like vanishes. Yeah. Uh, and then there's Dallas Buyers Club, of course, in in that. that. I just think anyway. there's something so naturally seductive about him that you can't position him as just sort of like a sincere innocent. There has to be some conflict no, of no. like, he's, is this he's guy dirty. on the level? Yeah. Uh, but And I think opposite Jody in this, it it there's just something about that that pair up, that matchup that doesn't, um, and listen, I love this movie, but there's yeah. just something about that that just never really, it, right from the first meet cute in that bizarre yeah. play in Puerto Rico when they're getting beer and he pulls the compass out of the cracker jet. It's just if that whole... From then on out, it just never quite fires and never quite works. They have zero chemistry. Right. I love this movie. It's a space movie. It's it's a thinky space movie. It's like right up mm. my alley. And I mm. love both Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey, but they that is, they, they are what keeps it or whatever. Their connection or just his kind of way of like flitting in and out of the movie is what keeps it from being like a whatever perfect you know movie that i watch all the time but i still love this movie yeah. jamie why did you want to do this movie what is your like you said you saw when you were a kid what's it just let's let's talk zemeckis yeah i i think uh i i mean obviously i grew up with who framed roger rabbit and back to the future yeah, and right. um, sure. the death becomes or all that stuff and, and it, but i i didn't know that the same guy made all those things you know I, mm-hmm. I think there's something quite extraordinary when you learn that you know this same guy can do has all of these tricks up his sleeve. He can do all of these very different tonally, uh, you know, the way he executes his movies are, are all very different. I'm sure you guys have been talking about him endlessly recently, but um, right. I, I think Contact is just kind of, because I, it was recorded off the television, I think, it's kind of the perfect film to watch with commercials. Mm. <laughs> I don't know, that sounds really terrible, but it's, nope. it's kind of You're a right. movie that really excels in 20 minute segments with a break. 20 minute segments, then a break. Um, you know, I, 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 there's something about the idea of the unknown, right? There's something about reaching into the cosmos and something calling you back that is just inherently fantastical and wonderful and what if. Um, and that really inspired me. Um, and I love Jody. I mean, Silence of the Lambs is my favorite film of all time. Jody is, a, is an actor that she just, there is something in her conviction, in her spirit that is just hard to deny. I mean, like the, the final scene in this movie when she's giving that speech, I, I you know, I don't know what, it, it's something about her breathing or something about her tonality and her voice. Yeah. I cannot uh, not be moved by her. So I think yeah. if you put her in, and there's a lot of similarities between this film and Silence of the Lambs, a lot of the themes that we're, they're exploring here, you know, Tom Skerritt kind of brushing her aside and institutional workplace kind of sexism, casual mm-hmm. sexism and all this stuff. Um, and she plays to authority so well. Yeah, you know, there's there's this that scene with Tom Skerritt as well, where she's like, 
uh, he's kind of saying like we're, we're going to cancel it because basically you could be listening for years and hear nothing and everyone think you're a quack and crazy. And she's like, but it's my life. It's my passion to waste. And that's one thing with Jodie that I always have. Like whenever she's voicing her own thematic element, um, it's me. I mean, it's us. I, I, just, mm. I just can't help but mm. always side with her. So for me, it's a purely, it's not cynical at all, which is kind of weird to admit, but this is a purely kind of emotional film for me. I will say that the film has some issues, maybe I would say, like the it's first true. 40 minutes, I would say, is pretty right. tough it, to get through. Yeah. It has blank check issues. It has like, yeah. uh, no one's going to tell Zemeckis, maybe this shouldn't be two and a half mm. hours long issues, mm. you know, and I don't, I, I am a person who I'll always go for, look, look, he took his big swing and he threw everything in there versus like the other version of this movie that is noted to death and, you know, doesn't have someone like Zemeckis who can just be like, no, there's going to be 14 conversations about whether or not you believe in God. Like, and that's just going to have to be in the movie. But um, yeah, it's got some, whatever. Am I, I, what you said about Cable, I just want like, I want, I saw this movie like on video when I was a kid. But once I was in a pizza place in Manhattan, a little Italy pizza, oh. I believe it still exists, yeah. uh, down on, down on, down by City Hall, Griff, because there's a few of them, those, you know, those are I think that location still exists. Yeah. Okay, but and, go on. And Contact was playing on TV, like on cable, and I literally like sat there for an hour just like watching the movie. Like, you know, it was one of those things where I was just like, I don't want to leave. Like, because it was probably, I think it was like the last, you know, half of the movie. And I just was like. I know what's happening next. I, I'm sticking with this, like in a pizza place on a crappy little like 13 inch TV. There is also something just y- uniquely kind of sentimental, right? About it, it very much feels like a 90s movie. Yes. Yeah. Certain like camera moves, this Alan Silvestri score that's tinkling Clinton. on top. Yeah, right. I mean, he, by the way, I would say he's probably the second best actor in this movie. Very, very good um, performance from Bill. Very good. Um, but you know what I mean? Like it just it has that, it lulls you. And there's yeah. a certain point in the movie where it does kick into gear. It does kind of like start driving and act with a little bit more force. Um, and and you, you kind of get hooked after that point, I would say. There's this weird push and pull with Zemeckis where there is this very sentimental streak to him and there's this very cynical streak to him. And they always coexist in all of his movies. And his most beloved movies find the right balance but he talks about and like people worked on talk about that he's a guy who thrives on conflict, like even just in the process of making the movie and that he struggled with once he achieved blank check status, that people just trusted everything he was saying. But I also feel like innately because he is such a high level filmmaker, because he started out his career trying to make comedies, which are inherently kind of one of the most populous crowd pleasing genres even if you're not making a comedy for everyone you're trying to get a very specific response from the audience so you really have to be tuned into the way people are going to receive what you're making and then he just becomes such a successful filmmaker that he's always at the level of oh it's a new Zemeckis movie is it going to be a blockbuster and so you feel those weird half measures where it's like he talks about I mean Sagan and his wife, Ann Durian, developed this as a movie pitch. They shopped it around for a long time. No one would really bite. A, it just felt too expensive for a movie that's mostly ideological without having big action set pieces. Uh, You were still going to have to spend a lot of money on special effects. 
And right. uh, B, it just felt like it didn't have the wham-bam kind of thing. It was a little too intellectual. So then they go, fuck it, let's just turn this into a book. They write the book, and then the book becomes a bestseller. So then the studios come back around. They go, well, now that it's proven, now that it's a bestseller. So then it passes through hands over and over again for the better part of a decade. George Miller is the guy who comes very close to making it with Jodie Foster. And then he eventually, I think, gives up. Also partially because he was so fucking done with the studio system after doing Witches of Eastwick. Uh, I think he just was like, uh, there's only so many notes I'll take before I'd rather quit a project. I, I do I do want to say a couple of Miller's things where one, Please. he wanted the Pope to be a key supporting character. Awesome. <laughs> Which I'd love to see it. Fucking um, rad. Two, I think there was like a big climax where there was like a laser light show in the sky. That's how Zemeckis yeah. kind of like uh derisively yeah. puts it i don't know mm-hmm. what that actually means but it sort of sounds like a close encounters thing or he said he liked this he said he loved the script and he got to the last page and there was like a bunch of a, like angel aliens doing right. a light show and he was like no no right. thanks exactly yeah yeah uh, so i guess zemeckis tears that out but that seems to be part of whatever script miller was working off of i just want to know how the pope was involved that that's what i just need to know the mcconaughey it was about jody foster sticking it to the pope <laughs> fucking the pope he was yeah. a, he was I a mean, it wasn't a priest who loves to fuck he was a pope yeah. who loves to fuck <laughs> yeah hot pope yeah. hot pope who fucks hot pope yeah well there you go exactly as the original young pope i found this really good new york times article from uh the summer of 97 um talking up the sort of expectations and the fears around contact uh, and the opening line of it is Robert Zemeckis is scared, not scared mm. simply because his new film Contact is appearing in the most crowded summer season in movie history. He's especially scared because it's a 90 million dollar studio film that was made for, pardon the expression, grownups, a film that confronts the tensions between science and religion, intellect and faith. There's not a dinosaur in sight. But the thing that really jumped out to me here is they say they're talking about, uh, you know, Linda Obst being the producer who saved it post um, uh, blockbuster book uh, kept on trying to get it made and then it was just stuck in that development hell period where like if a movie doesn't get made for 10 years executives start to think that it's cursed and then they don't mm. even want to try to revive it right it's like when your house is like on the market for too long or whatever like right. the house is not changed but people are just like there's gotta be there's gotta be a problem like this just won't well, work but it is a movie that is not without um controversy right because it didn't doesn't coppola come after them and and try suing them because he he, for, uh, he thinks that sagan developed it with him yes um, right yes the zoetrope right the, the yeah. thing that is wild about that is he sues him he sues them uh warner brothers um yeah. like two years after the movie came out or no 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 i'm sorry i'm sorry like uh, a year before the movie comes out mm-hmm. not 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 after and Right after Sagan dies, like right after Sagan dies. And he dies during production, like halfway through filming the movie. And the whole point of the suit is like Sagan worked on this with me. So it's so weird that he like snuck that suit in right after Sagan died so that like I guess Sagan couldn't be there to be like, yeah, you know, anyway, it's very weird. I believe uh, that lawsuit was dismissed. Hmm. Um, Well, this is the morsel that really jumped out to me. So it's... uh, 1994, Zemeckis is editing Forrest Gump, which no one could have predicted would be the movie that it was, have the impact that it had. He reads it and passes on it. And he, right. 
said here, um, uh, Mr. Zemeckis was offered the film, uh, da 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 but the plot with its ambiguous ending left him uneasy. That speaks to maybe the laser light show with the angels. Mm-hmm. And then this is his quote that's so fascinating. In the executive suites of Hollywood, there was the struggle that everyone was having with this movie, which is that it defies convention. It's a pedestal picture, said Zemeckis, a 46-year-old bear of a man who is alternately friendly and intense. The whole movie builds on a pedestal, and we don't put anything on top. We don't have a huge payoff. We don't send audiences running and screaming to the parking lot. And then by his account, Forrest Gump comes out, has this meteoric success, and like a year later, he goes, fuck it. I'm probably the only one who could actually get that movie made now. And he Mm. kind of makes it out of a sense of obligation of like, this film should exist. And I Mm. now have the clout. I have the hot hand that I can will it into existence and maybe try to solve that ending problem. But but also, doesn't it doesn't it feel that initial fear is actually true? Absolutely. Because here's the thing is that it is a movie which goes, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we heard and then yeah. they kind of do all this business about, yes, we did here. And then they kind of go and then like, well, I'm just going to teach a bunch of kids. I'm just going to like, yeah, I'm just going to show a bunch of kids how it's done. You know, right. and, it, and it, it doesn't really deliver on the idea of, you know, you kind of want to see that movie. And it, do you know what I mean? The movie ends right. and you're like, but where's that you, movie that we you, you, you kind of want to know <laughs> yeah. what contact two is? Because, right, the movie yeah. literally ends with them being like, well, you've taken your first steps. And you're like, we've taken our first steps? Right. That's, we're two and a half two hours, hours into this thing. Minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it ends up with aliens playing her father <laughs> saying, like, you have no idea how big this thing is. Smell you later. <laughs> and then just sending her <laughs> yeah. back. I mean, yeah. the line where they go, like, so that's it. And he's like, yep, that's how it's done for billions of years. Yeah. Yep. See ya. It yeah. just feels a little bit, and he's right because he because what yeah. do you how can you structurally what are you supposed to do now like the, you know well actually there's a theme park on this planet <laughs> like like let's right. go ride a bunch of roller coasters or something like what's he supposed to do where's it supposed to go I mean and I love that about this movie and that yeah know, to be clear I think it's great that it is so unconventional in that mm-hmm. way and also like you say Griff made for grownups I don't think that's inarguable I don't know what a kid would get out of this movie although. Mm. I, you know, whatever, like a, oh, a younger did. adult would, but you know, like sure. a little, but, but rated PG, like, yeah, you know, not, no swearing really, like no, nothing too intense, you know, sure. Like some sex, but like nothing, you know, very, very demure, like aimed at the broadest family audiences, uh, but not really for them. If that it's makes an sense. Odd beast. Yeah. Cause it also has like that very sort of like shiny, evenly like three point lit, Zemeckis look and the twinkly like Sylvester piano notes which almost feel at odds with what the movie's doing not like he's trying to hedge his bets but he's like can I sell more complicated questions a movie that doesn't Mm. offer any easy answers if I wrap it in the Zemeckis packaging that audiences have so accepted now like the Zemeckis Mm. brand was so strong people Mm. liked the house style And he's sort of like trying to find a way to make a movie that's somewhat ambiguous. But I also, this is a movie that has like kind of four consecutive endings. And none of them are Big Bang endings. But it's like, if I give him four endings that like, one resolves sort of the spiritual aspects, one resolves the ideological aspects, one resolves it emotionally, will they end up feeling happy? But it also, watching it made me think about this whole sort of subgenre of like adult space movies that I feel like have made a return in the last decade. And you have the ones like Martian and uh, uh, 
uh, gravity. gravity. Well, no, no. I was gonna say Martian and Gravity are just the like survival in space movies, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, uh, they're like roller coasters. Yeah, right. This Interstellar, uh, you know, I, I'd say Close Encounters to a lesser degree because that's yeah. a little Arrival, more fantasy. We, we mentioned already Arrival, absolutely. Right. The, the, the thinky space movie Interstellar is kind of trying to thread the needle by having a lot of action, but yes, yeah. But it, but also yeah. sort of like the thinky first contact movie, like the thinky right. are we alone movie. I even would categorize, even though it's a slightly different beast, Prometheus in this territory, where you make this movie that's sort Great of like movie. very serious filmmaker working with big actors, making a movie with an elusive marketing campaign where it's like this has huge sets, huge special effects, and this movie is going to ra- grapple with the biggest questions and there's always that mystery box anticipation of just like, holy fucking shit, Christopher Nolan's making a movie about are we alone in the universe? And the expectations run so high. And outside mm. of Arrival, which I think succeeded because it was sort of under the radar, I feel like the first response from audiences is always like pretty loud disappointment. And then it mm-hmm. will grow a sort of second wind appreciation afterwards because there's sort of just no way for a movie to answer those questions in a way that is satisfying. And when you sit there in a theater opening night, or even you watch it as a kid, you're just like, holy fucking shit, movie starting. At the end of this, I'm going to understand how the universe works. Like, I do feel like you you stupidly invest this faith of like, this movie is going to single-handedly crack it. And the best of these movies try to make it a little more ambiguous and leave you with more questions than answers because it's impossible to answer. Zemeckis himself said like that was his struggle with Back to the Future 2 is he always hated movies about the future because he was like, it's just some guys making some shit up. No one fucking knows. That's why I wanted to get the future stuff out of the way in the first act. And this is an ultimate like nobody knows movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is, you know, as a kid, you know, the idea of trying to wrap your head around the you know, science versus religion, science versus God. And right. um, that whole second essential argument of the film and then realizing when she comes back, obviously that she's been on this experience that she cannot in any way prove. She cannot yeah. in any way boil down to science. She cannot come up with some sum or uh, chemistry that will show everyone what she's experienced. And it's, it's obviously a kind of very obvious thing to say, but as a kid, I was so intrigued by that concept because I am an atheist and have always been and was never raised in a religious family and um, it's just never been a part of my upbringing or anything like that. So that dilemma is is an interesting dilemma, but it's not a dilemma that like sells tickets. It's not, <laughs> it's not like a dilemma that makes people want to buy popcorn. Right. It's fascinating, but it's yeah. usually contained to like PBS documentaries right. that my dad watched, <laughs> yeah. you know, like yeah. and like yeah. National Ge- Scientific American articles and things like that. Yeah. Like, which is why I think these movies get called dad movies because they are like, you know, you think of them in that way, right? Like Carl mm. Sagan stuff is sort of like, yeah, that's 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 dad content. But mm. right, this movie is coming out. On uh, freaking July eleventh, uh, nineteen ninety seven. Yeah. Like you know, this <laughs> yeah. is the, this is Warner Brothers' big movie for the month or whatever. You know, he, I, I, we will get to the box office game later, but later. But you know, it's it like you said, it's a crowded market out there. Yeah, and Sp- Spielberg has two movies this year. Right, Titanic right, is this right. year. You know, like right. This is a no fucking around year. 
Listen, I'm glad that it's I'm glad it's made because it's you know it's made for people like me or yeah, us. Yeah. Uh, but you know, at, at a ninety million ninety million dollar price tag is <laughs> that's a lot for for me for little old me sitting at home watching find. it on VHS. <laughs> this is oh the Linda Opes quote. Uh, they're talking about how scared they are that they've invested this much money into a movie that mm. doesn't have like splashy trailer shots and is right. selling itself on like this is a movie for grown-ups. And she says. Uh, this film does not underestimate the American public. If we're right, it's fantastic. And if we're not, well, it'll just make movie going uh, just a bit more dreary. Like, it's one of those movies where they were like, let's fucking take the swing and see if we can sell, like, big budget intellectual blockbusters. But also, they, they, they sold it. You know, their T-Rex in this movie is that sound. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is yeah. that artificial sound of the aliens, you know, contacting us. It's such an interesting idea that you know one of the biggest stars in this movie is that noise yeah and i i i can't remember the trailer for this movie but i'm sure it must be all over that right it must be that's a that great sound, question actually because that, that sound to title you know well now that's all you would do right you would right. you would structure your whole damn viral campaign the other thing about this movie i think is that the very large array which is a real thing obviously mm-hmm is like the third character on the poster, very right, much a part of the trailer. Two movie stars very large and a satellite. Array. Yeah. <laughs> because, and, and it is kind of one of those things where it, like it's, I love Zemeckis's confidence with that. It's the same thing with using Clinton. Like Clinton gives a speech about the Mars rock. You guys remember the Mars rock? We found yeah. like a mm-hmm. rock from Mars, you know, that had like a worm in it. And we're like, life on Mars. And like Zemeckis sees that and he's like, that's all we need. We'll just use this. This is great. He's talking about life on other planets. They were in talks with Sidney Poitier to play the president right. who is going to be a scripted character with multiple that's scenes. Right. And then Zemeckis sees that conference and he's like, we can just use this. I did Forrest Gump. Like Zemeckis, king of the deep fakes, the, the original yeah. king of the deep fakes is like, I was trying to think of other movies. Copy paste. Because the White House didn't like that. They contacted Hated Warner it. Brothers after right. they didn't like it, did yes. they? Right, and CNN after this banned they didn't their like logo either. from being yeah. used in films and banned their anchors from appearing in movies. Didn't stop Larry King. No. He didn't has stop the, that guy. the exception in his clause. He's the he one guy they said was allowed to do it. J- yeah. Jamie, yeah. I just want to I just want to tell you so the trailer I'm watching it right now. The yeah. first okay. 40 seconds it's just Jody, she's at the very large array. She's listening on her headphones. Oh. Fade to you know, a different shot of her at the very large. And now it's nighttime and she's still there, you know, and she's on her car. And then 40 seconds in, it's the noise. Mm -hmm. And like, you see the like waveform of the noise and it turns into her name. So you are correct. They, they were like all in on the noise as noise sound. (laughs) But the movie also like never gets more exciting than that. It taps into such a primal thing of like being a kid and looking at the stars and wondering, and the mm. second there's just any proof, it, I mean, it's it's part of that thing of just like the mystery of it is always going to be more tantalizing than any answer that filmmakers can come up with. Like the moment when they're deciphering the signal, all that stuff where right. they're figuring out like, oh, it's numbers, it's prime numbers, it's code. Well, and then, can make and an then the, first, the first image <sighs> of it is is a swastika. Is of like if, oh, I mean, just, that, I just love that. I mean, I mean right, it's just incredible because you go <sighs> yeah. like, God, is this? I guess this means they're pretty hostile. I guess right. you know, like they they have a certain ideology that's pretty horrendous. All that symbol means is suffering and anguish. Um, 
But of course, it's not. It's 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 it, they're just rebounding the signal. I mean, I just right. think that's incredible. I love that. That's that's probably yeah. my single favorite moment of the entire film. That feels like yeah. such a Carl Sagan idea too, where he's like yes. the kind of nerd who at a cocktail party would be like, "Do you know that's technically the first <laughs> signal that would <laughs> right. have been able to reach yeah. space? So if aliens heard something, <laughs> right. it would be, yeah." It would be, but yes, I mean, like to talk about the '90sness of this movie, you know, excluding mm-hmm. Clinton, it just like the idea in this movie that would not be the idea now of like, okay, okay, so there's it, we learn of alien life, what happens, and it's like, well, a bunch of spin doctors like start to you know figure out what to do with it, and like the religious right is involved, like yeah, now Paul the Begala's movie it would just out there slinging <laughs> shit right. on national television. Now it would just be like <laughs> nuclear war brews, like it would right. be much more apocalyptic. And whereas in this, like Arrival, you know, that's a movie about like we need to talk to each other or we're going to kill each other, right? Like you right. know, that's mm. and like you know the, the the general Zima, like all that stuff. But this is more like it's just like and you know guess who gets their hands on the cool alien signal? A bunch of like slick haired, you know, Washington lobbyists, like the, the worst fucking people in the world. It is funny that like the balance between science and, and religion and sort of like cultural yes. pride versus like curiosity and all that sort of stuff, like would manifest were this kind of contact made tomorrow, Absolutely. especially on election day. Uh, but uh, the difference is any of those scenes where you have someone sort of slickly saying like, do we really want, I'm just like, oh, it's odd to watch a movie like this where the government isn't going on TV shows and going like, eat my fucking ass, okay? I'm not letting aliens step foot in our fucking lawn. You cock, get out of here. It's it's that, yeah. it's like Air, Air Force One is like that, you know, oh, so Independence Day, obviously. So many of those 90s movies where it's just like, there's there's this quiet disdain for people who work at the White House that mm. is like, is not going to come back around for a while where, you know, and like the, the West Wing pilot, that's a couple years from now. Like, that's another one that revolves all around like, well, the religious right is on our ass. Like, yeah. Th- it just feels like now just very quaint to think of them as like just a sort of, you know, fly in the soup, fly in the ointment, not fly and, in the soup. And Rob Lowe flips. Like this is Rob Lowe coming off of his 90s where he's mostly playing comedy assholes, right? right. Where he rebuilds mm. his career as playing like the dickhead in a bunch right. of Lloyd Michaels Wayne's movies. World. Tommy Boy, right. Austin Powers. And then the Austin yeah. Powers yeah. sequels. Right. And then it's like he does this in the middle. This is sort of an outlier. And then he ends off the decade with West Wing. And now he becomes like the guy in the White House. Right. Mm. Yeah, he's George Stephanopoulos. Um, yeah, anyway. Um, but yes, the contact. One of the other things about this movie that is a little bit confusing now watching it as an adult is why is McConaughey in these rooms? Totally. <laughs> Don't do you know, know. Do you know what I mean? Why is he in these places? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. There's a scene where Jody has clearly cracked something. I can't remember what bit she's cracked, but she's cracked something. Maybe it's the blueprints or something. She's found the blueprints. And then she and she's and you know, and she's kind of saying, This is what we think it is. We don't know. I don't want to like set off any alarm bells or whatever. Angela Bass is kind of shutting her down because she's speaking, you know, she's uh she just needs to kind of keep her quiet, basically. And Tom Skerritt kind of takes over. And then McConaughey walks in and just like takes over the meeting. Yes. Just like, oh, oh, here he is. Here he is. We need to listen to this guy. Like uh, this guy has nothing to do with this. Didn't find and didn't discover shit. And he's just going to sit down and take over this fucking meeting. It doesn't I, make it. I just don't understand. He's just like a Christian 
philosopher. Like right. I don't, I, he, I don't think he ever announces like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm well, staff. His here role or is whatever. technically spiritual advisor to the president. I just, right, I right. just don't think that's actually a thing, is it? Well, it's I've like, never I heard mean, of that. Like, I feel like certainly there's always this feeling that the president needs to have some like theological counsel. But what they wouldn't mm. be is this cool and this chill you know sure (laughs) right it's like fucking like falwell jr has trump's ear but it's not some guy like this who's like i don't know let's consider all positions i definitely don't fucking think it'd be late to meetings no absolutely not (laughs) casually strolling in yeah (laughs) fuck set an alarm clock right he'll be some fucking fire and brimstone guy yeah right i it's it's an odd i mean that also speaks to why he doesn't totally fit in this movie like the character's undercooked and and he's not quite right for as an actor i also think it speaks to like jamie what you were saying about the inherent like appeal of jodie foster is she's this movie star who is just like all focus all determination all business especially for a female movie star to make that big of a career being like a fucking professional who rarely mm. is dealing with like romance That's or comedy or her charm. whole nineties so unique, right? And two thousands, like her whole. I mean, it's and this is the she makes Anna and the King two years after this, for three years before she made Nell. You know, she's fully in that post uh, Silence of the Lambs phase where she's like, I make a movie if I want to, like yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. And then like after Anna the King, it's three more years to Panic Room. You know, like it's. She's and like you say, I feel like she's so careful about the roles she picks. She plays these serious, intelligent, interesting people who are very self-possessed, who are, you know, like do not have to rely on right, like some romantic interest or anything like that. And I like that this movie basically starts with her sleeping with Matthew McConaughey, who is at the time like one of the prettiest boys in Hollywood. He's the next Paul Newman. Like, People Magazine is like, mm. we called it. This guy's got the talent and the raw handsomeness. He's the guy. Right. And then just, like, piecing out on him, and he spends the rest of the movie, like, sabotaging her career as alien ambassador because he so likes her. Up. Yeah, so <laughs> fucked up that he does that. It's so fucked that he does that. Yes, absolutely. They, they to this should day, send him to a gulag after that scene. Fuck? It's, like, insane. Your spiritual advisor to the president? Yeah, you're pulling shit like that. You slept Fuck with her you, once, and you're saying that you sabotaged her hearing so that she you could maybe get a chance you back, for seconds. Bro. She yeah. didn't call you back. Take a <laughs> fucking hint. Oh my god. Sorry, sorry, heated. Uh, this fucking New York Times article, which I'm gonna keep referencing because it's like a a treasure trove. Um, okay. but it's called "Using a Big Budget to Ask Big Questions." And Foster's big quote here, she says, the idea of someone searching for some kind of purity, searching for something out there that she can't find here, was something that was very, very close to myself. I process everything using my head first. I cope through my head. I cope with the disappointments in my life and the pains of my life by using my intellect. That doesn't make me less vulnerable, but I do a good job of hiding it. And that's what this woman is about. And you're like, Mm. man, right. Perfect fit for this project. Perfect fit Mm. for the tone perfect fit for the character and McConaughey is in the zone where he's like everyone tells me that I can sell anything <laughs> like he's just like people are telling me I'm charming as fuck I think he makes sense for this movie in that McConaughey has that classic sort of just like handsome hippie energy so you yeah. get it's just that the characters like as like we've been saying it's just an odd fit for 
like we found alien intelligence in the universe. Mm. Let's assemble the crack team. Let's get NASA. Let's get the military. Let's get the white house. Oh, and call McConaughey. What's he 32 years old? Bring him in. He should come. The guy who wrote the secret. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote the book about how it's nice to love God, but also kiss like, yeah, he, he should be in on this one. Yeah. Let, let, let's, let's have him guide strategy. That's the thing. That's just whatever. It's also a Carl Sagan concept. Yeah. Sagan's a wacky guy. I think he wanted to wrestle with like, I'm a man of science, like, but I, you know, this is such a huge part of American thought. And it's such a, you know, the, the, the implications of life on other worlds are so staggering from a religious, you know, like he, I get what he wants to do with it. And also the movie needs to have some sort of emotional center. Sagan's aware of that. And Zemeckis says that's a big thing he latched onto where it felt like some screwball comedy dynamic of like Ninochka of like, oh, it's two people who are so physically attracted to each other, but have completely opposed ideologies. But the movie Mm -hmm. just has so much more on its plate that those scenes are so undercooked. And the two of them, you know, I think Foster's great. I think McConaughey's okay, but they just fundamentally don't have chemistry together. So then every 30 minutes when it circles back around to being like a linchpin of the film, you're like, Fuck off. This is not important. Yeah, the movie's the movie's excelling when, when she's solving problems, right? Yes. When she's cracking it, when she's discovering, whenever she's on the hunt is when the movie's really moving. Yeah. And as soon as it's, as you say, it slows down for one of those kinds of um, existential conversations that Let's has, chat. you know. Right. Yeah, sure. And, it's, and it has to have this, you know, sense sense of uh, loss or a love that wasn't quite reciprocate. Like none of that is, it's just not reading at all. So it mm. just kind of, uh, it really slows everything down again. And then you have to build it back up. They don't really have flirty energy. They do have like, you get that they want to talk to each other, but it's not really, mm. they're not flirty, I guess is yeah. the best mm. way to put it. It. She's also seven years older than him, which is rare for Hollywood anytime, but especially mm-hmm. in the nineties. So that's kind of fun. Like, yeah. but, and, and it is fun to consider just the immensity of Foster's stardom, especially at this point, like right where, where it feels like she's kind of starting to drift away from Hollywood. Like, like you're saying in like that quote you gave us Griff, where it feels like, most things across her desk, she's like, no, thank you. I guess she's also directing at this point, right? Yeah, this is a time period where she's like, I prefer directing to acting. I don't really right. want to act in that many movies anymore. And then she spends years trying to get directing projects off the ground, but also not taking acting jobs. Wait, what's the, is it Flora Plum, Nora Plum? What's the Plum movie? Right, oh, Flora Plum yeah. was the one that she spent like a Plum. decade trying to make. Yeah. Yes, that was the one that was with, it was like set in the circus Claire Danes, Russell Crowe, and it just right. like never happened, right? Um, anyway, uh, and then she, she ended up making the David Sims biopic, Money Monster. Go, uh, Griffin. I <laughs> forgot she directed that. <laughs> she directed Money Monster, a film I saw and reviewed, and a didn't film even about hate. you launching our Patreon page. Yeah, exactly. God, I forgot she directed that. That is yeah, a weird, right. weird project. Directed the Beaver. That's like I know she directed the Beaver, Beaver. but like, mm-hmm. but like, weird. Money Monster is like the last George Clooney movie. Like yeah. I know now he has this uh, the movie coming on Netflix, you know, which he's in, which that's great that he directed. But 
that is the might be the last movie that he was ever in that was just like a star vehicle that he signed on to. You know what I mean? Post Tomorrowland. It's post Tomorrowland. It's a year after Tomorrowland. It's the year yeah. 2016. He's in Hail Caesar, which he's fantastic in, and Money Monster. Great. Uh, anyway, uh, Contact. Contact. He's also he's he, also in Gravity, of course. He is. It's a yeah. secondary yeah. role. But, so yeah, good in Gravity. Really good. That is one of his hits that Griffin always forgets about. Totally. But that, but it's like a perfect example of that's him just being like, I understand exactly what my power as a movie star is. I'm here in service of the film. Like, I remember my dad not having seen Gravity saying to me, I can't believe Clooney isn't getting nominated for Gravity because he just assumed like, here's this movie. that's a blockbuster. Sandra right. Bullock's getting nominated in every category. Clooney's beloved. And I was like, you don't understand how selfless Clooney is in Gravity. Yeah, he's not like dominating his chunk of the movie at all. Like he's not right. trying to steal it's it. It's support work, but he's using yeah. his like megawatt charisma in support of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um that's I mean that's just example of like a movie that is is using a similar dynamic of like the guy is more casual and funny and the woman is more steely and focused and like emotionally bottled in space. But Clooney I just think has greater command. It's weird. The McConaughey thing. I mean, we talked about the same thing with uh, Amistad where you're like, he's not bad. He's just like one step in over his head. He just doesn't totally understand his own effect yet. And directors don't totally get him yet. And then it takes like 15 years for him to totally come into his power. Yeah. He's he's just he's kind of feels too big for the movie in a way. Yeah. It just kind of can't really handle him. That that space needs to be filled by someone slightly more insular, I think. Yeah. Because I think then also like that chemistry will be much more interesting because she's a little bit of an insular character too. I mean, she's someone who's dealt with she loss. Is. She lost her mother. She lost her father pretty horrendously. After that point, she's clearly like cut everyone out of her life, and you know she's trying to make contact beyond the stars is having trouble making contact on the ground and with people in front of her. And like that, it never really kind of, um, never really explores that between the two of them. I think that's interesting ground to probe in, you know, for characters. That's the other heart of the movie is, is the dead dad. And like, I know Mm. people like to, you know, whatever, roll their eyes because it's such a common script Mm -hmm. trope, but I like that trope and I have no problem with that trope. And especially when it's this well executed and it, it, you know, it it hooks you. Zemeckis sort of like digs that in really early. There's plenty there. Like I don't need necessarily need McConaughey, but I don't mind McConaughey as her foil. I just, the movie just can't sell me on the moment at the end where he's like, you know, the secret other reason is that I really like you where I'm just like, nah, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think either of them buy this. Like he'd be okay if he's just floating around. I also really fucking hate that, you know, you know, that the the last line is given to him before he gets in the limo. Yeah. Yeah. That just really bothers me. I don't know why, you know, and it's a very touching, like I love her in the car and I love her reaching out and she's so good physically and her eyes are so connective this movie is like about Jodie Foster's eyes Her as much as it's eyes, about right? anything. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I, um, so, it's, and I, I just, I really dislike that that moment is given to him. And I know it's, it's a reactionary moment and she sells it and kills it and everything. But um, she's so undermined in the rest of the movie constantly by Tom Skerritt, right. by the president, by all the, you know, Angela Bassett, all these people. Um, 
that it just you know so James Woods obviously it just feels like in that last moment I want to have I want to have her say her fucking thing and walk out and drive off into the sunset without him having to qualify her you know yeah it, it's it's one of those Spielbergy things of like I don't trust that the audience got it I want to underline mm. everything as directly as possible let's give it to the guy who's light and charming rather than the woman who's been sort of like brazen the entire film I, I do think watching it like. I feel like I'd like this movie a full half star more. How many stars do you like it overall? I give it like, I, I'd say a, a three out of four. Okay. Right, or like uh, a 3.5 out of it's, five. This is, this is like a nine to me. Jeez, this is like a 4.5 to me. I mean, well, I'm saying it would, it would be a nine for me if it ended with, it, not literally, but the final note it ended on was her uh, hearing where she attests that it happened, but she doesn't have any proof. Like, that's right. the most interesting lingering thought of the movie. The, the ending the ending should be this, right? She does this thing in uh, with James Woods in whatever that testimony that she's giving, yeah. which is fucking, cr- and she crushes it, and she's brilliant Amazing. in it. Incredible. Yeah. I watched Incredible it last stuff. night and was like, I'm going to cry. Uh, um, she's brilliant. But then it should end with Angela Bassett saying, what's interesting about it is there's, it recorded 18 hours of it. That is interesting, isn't it? Black. I would also accept that. I think I, the the McConaughey, uh, given great. the the moral out of the car, doesn't work for me. Yeah, right. Woods's reptile face in that scene and in every scene that he's in is so good. Uh, he's great. One of one of my greatest conflicts in my entire life is that James Woods is like one of my five favorite actors of all yeah. time. I love him I so much. And like, especially in this 90s run where he's just popping up like and he like Casino, uh, you know, Nixon, like it's just yep. just he'll just give you 20 minutes and like play a super asshole. But then like in the Virgin Suicides, play like a genuinely kind of sweet, befuddled guy. Like I, he was such a versatile actor. Yeah, I know he barely works. anymore. He really just doesn't work anymore. Right. He he's it's it's he's all in on Twitter. Like With he has a shadow band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. He hasn't really made a movie since White House Down, which is no. uh, seven years ago. I love his reaction to the swastika when it, when it comes clear on the monitor. He just goes, okay. <laughs> and walks away. Yes. I love that reaction. It's great. Okay. Oh, God. I, you know what? I feel like the ending should be one of two things. It should be her giving the testimony and then they find the tape and it lingers with the question of, are they ever going to release this? It's still sort of a leap of faith thing. Or it should be her giving the testimony and then it cuts to the ending with her teaching the kids. But I feel like you either want it to be right. she was never able to prove it, but she's devoted the rest of her life to trying to convince other people to ask the big questions. Or it right. should be she couldn't prove it and we don't know whether or not the government decides to back her up. We're talking about the end of the movie, but I she would be a messianic figure to people. And there's that yes. hint of it. Like when she walks out of the, out of the Capitol and there's people holding signs, but Which like, I love that. Yeah. I love that too. And I just love that little implication of like, there's that available to her and she has gone more the path of like, well, I'm just going to do my work and like give you know, like I'm, I'm just going to be over here. The thing with the kids just kind of feels like, Something so monumental has happened to the world and to humanity yeah. that just for her to suddenly be doing that, it just feels like it kind of undermines mm. what we what we've just experienced for the last two and a half hours or whatever it is that like, we've sat right. through. It, it only works for me if it happens under the guise of she's been completely discredited. 
you know mm. like this mm, is her right. her one hail mary sure. pass it's it's the lack sure. of confidence in having all four of those endings of like the testimony mcconaughey offering the moral the discovery of the tape and then her of the kids it just makes it yeah. kind of messy i guess if they'd said if they said they'd said like the, yeah, we can't believe we're adding more scenes to this fucking movie but if there was a scene where it's like <laughs> you clearly know that publicly everyone knows she's full of shit right everyone knows that it's fucking bullshit she like they lied it's just a bunch of more government lies 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 or whatever that then she, you know her teaching to these kids is like keep looking keep looking for the stars right that you know, feels it's a, meaningful it's sac- saccharine but I, yeah that feels don't stop believing kind of thing no that's the thing it's like I. it feels like you're watching choose your own adventure endings like, it's like, those two scenes would work together. This one would work if this one was cut out. But mm-hmm. it's just, I think, their awareness of they don't have the pedestal. Like, they don't have the thing in the pedestal that's going to totally satisfy people. I've just realized we've gotten so far into this without mentioning uh, Jake Busey. Oh. we got to talk Busey. I mean... How the fuck was that? Has he not come up? Uh, I mean... God. Well... Guys, look, I mean, there's he is like using the very large array or using the Arecibo, you know, observatory or right. You know, it's like he's just like only just just we'll just use Jake Busey. He will communicate everything you need to know. Just just the sight of him with long blonde hair. That's it. Like that'll shake America to its core. (laughs) Right. Right. I just I wonder what the breakdown looked for like for this, where it's like. Uh, a, a religious like cult leader needs to look fucking weird. <laughs> Audience needs to remember him after limited screen time. What about that scene where you know he's in the you know whatever the machine is and he's right uh, in the, he's, the land he's the launch in disguise yeah. exactly and she's looking right. at the monitor and people who are listening are not going to see what I'm doing but I'm just going to you know he, he kind of does this. <laughs> is, he does the world's longest turn to camera. And then, like, moves towards it, stares down the lens, finds his light. It's yeah. what Jamie did. He passes his eyes across the screen like a snake. Yeah. Like, like, right. and he's smiling. Yes. Like, he's like, I'm going to get away with it. Like, a great plan for... It's like a supernatural evil. But he's barely in the movie. Makes yeah. such a fucking impact Yeah, in the that's movie. the thing. He understands, it's just like... Impact. Right. Yeah. Does, he, does he have a line? Like, does he in, say in, like, anything? those group scenes he's when they're, there's like when yeah. they think the 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 contact the launch and he's like yelling. Right, he doesn't have dialogue with anybody. You hear yelling, yelling is a line, David. Yelling yeah, is, is a line. line. Yelling it matters. Matters. It has lines where we're yelling, David. Yeah. But it's not like he's like I'm here because you know, like there's not no. that moment. But like, like. He, the sight of him, you're like, oh, I know why he's there, and I don't yes. like it. Like that's and like the yeah, the, the it, to just the play by play of him blowing up. I, by the way, my wife is just like, didn't that cost like a trillion dollars? Like yeah. everyone's been talking about how expensive yeah. this thing is. He blows yeah. it up in five seconds, but like he's on the camera, and she's like, he's not supposed to be there. Everyone get out of here. He's like, what's going on, Jody? The guy with like the bleached eyebrows and that really <laughs> creepy like sex offender wig. <laughs> oh, oh, that one, like, yes. Okay. Oh, okay. And like, try and get in touch with Scarrett. And, you know, meanwhile, Jake Busey's just like slowly removing a trigger from right. his pocket while everyone's just like, well, wait, what's going on though? Wait, right. walk me through it. Like, right. He's still just making snake eyes at everybody. <laughs> this movie has <sighs> inexcusable reasons for people showing up in certain places at certain times. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's kind of, 
insane. Really. I I do love the sort of like cyclical nature of her relationship with Scarrett, where he keeps on popping up as being like the figure of obstruction for her. Because that mm. just feels so true to like the the bureaucracy of government of trying to work in science around a culture that doesn't really respect it it's like he becomes the figurehead of the guy who's always one step above her limiting her i mean that's that's another one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when they're right before the launch and he's just just like look i actually agree with you it sucks mm-hmm. That uh, 90% of our country will not swallow anything unless we project some sense of religious purity. I wish mm-hmm. I could give the answer you could. But if I did, I wouldn't be wearing this jumpsuit. Smell you later. That's because he's he said he believes in God in his his own testimony right. when she hasn't. Right. That's right. That's right. Right. Yeah. Which is which is also such a good scene. Like and that scene is kind of only undone by mcconaughey's performance is so odd in it because what he's trying to earmark is the this is a crisis of romance for him right which we haven't bought into at all right but but that scene is so great where you're just like okay she understands the challenge she understands how like diverse the candidates are going to be how like you know strong and and varied this board is of the selectors uh, but she makes it to that hearing. She's nailing everything. And then they ask her that one question. And it's like, here's a person who fundamentally cannot lie. She is incapable right. of bullshitting and giving some mm-hmm. wishy-wanshy answer about her belief in order to get the job. But the second they ask her, she's fucked. She knows she's fucked. But don't worry, because they're built too. Well, that's the thing. It's like, so my wife's never seen this movie. She's why Forky. Uh, my wife, Forky, sorry. Um... And no. she's like, oh, so she doesn't get to go to space. And I'm like, now she's, you know, she'll go to space. She's Jodie Foster. And she gets to go right. to space. And, you know, like, I'm like, it's not like the movie's like, anyway, Tom Skerritt got to go roll the credits, you know, like, you know, but then he comes back and he's like, yeah, there's aliens. It was cool. Like, yeah, they I'll look like Jodie Foster's dad. <laughs> For some reason, yeah. they said, this is the form we chose to take. We thought she was going to make it. It it, the, yeah. it looked like the guy from The Rock, not Ed Harris, but you know no. the other guy. He's like, uh, he's like so really good locked in everything. In. Yeah, right. He's like the, the dad who's... slash therapist and chum scrubber. Have you seen? Yeah, him? He's like, right. the... <laughs> but anyway, and like, and then and yeah. Forky was just like, I mean, it makes sense. There's no way she like a lady would get to do that. Like, it, yeah. it, it would be too easy if she got to do it. Like, you know, especially at this point in time. At this, you know, like, you know, it's just like no Jodie Foster can't. They can't just be like, now nah, you're the lady. You're 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 gonna do it it's they're gonna pick tom scarrett it just makes sense that a congressional panel would decide that and also the only way she ends up getting a seat is like crazy fucking liberal rupert murdoch in space (laughs) using anti-gravity to fight his cancer is like fuck you there was a second one and i bought the company pack your bags God, what, a what, ride. A, what a bizarre second act twist it is because i love the original the the first the first john hurt scene oh, but then so it's like scene two where he's like yeah i'm on mirror now yeah no no i'm i'm floating exclusively floating at this point i love john hurt I, oh john hurt's great i worked with john hurt on on snow piercer and right. he was fucking amazing he was just like uh you know, he was that guy. He was the guy who was sitting on benches, smoking, telling stories of him, and um, you know his younger years with his uh, his other actors that he was with at the time, and just phenomenal stories. He's a leader. He's you know he's and um, 
We were just enamored. Everyone was enamored by him. He, he just looks incredible in Snowpiercer. Like he uh, just looks like yeah. like a rag man or whatever. You know, like his yeah. face is so perfect and it's, his mm. beard is so bushy. I love his look in Snowpiercer. Yeah, he's phenomenal, uh, phenomenal, he's, and he's and he's great in this. Actually, I mean, it's it's he's great. It's oh, a yeah. real real character in there. Yeah, you know, and he doesn't have a lot to he doesn't have a lot to do, but he really makes an impact. Um, yeah, he's he's, he's great. He's fully a who, you know, when's he bad? He is in, as I'm sure you all remember, the Harry Potter movies yeah. as the wand guy. Like, yeah. it's the 40th most important part in Harry Potter is mm. the fucking wand mm. guy, right? And that scene in the first Harry Potter movie, which is not a very good movie, like, you know, the Chris Columbus movie, is so... I advise people to go back. Like hurt is so locked into it. Yes. Yeah. And like, and it's kind of an important scene. Cause it's like, you know, Harry's getting his wand, right? It's I, I be would magical. say it's sort of Columbus's best decision as a director on that movie yes. is we need to hire someone super overqualified for the wand scene because the wand scene is like a real turnkey for the whole universe. He, he, he that's, that's hurt. He's, he's very yeah. much a when, when's he bad? When's he bad? I also, argue never. This is a movie that reunites him with um, Tom Skerritt for the right. first. Is it the first time since Alien? I think so. That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't have Skerritt's before. Yeah, you're right. You're, but oh God, how did it's I interesting that yeah, two crew members on a sci-fi movie again. Yeah, but used so differently that you never really process like, oh, he's using two Alien cast members. Yeah. It doesn't feel right. sort of like clever. I mean, I I read Zemeckis said that like the conception of uh, the character. Why I'm forgetting his name now. Haddon. Yeah, something like that. S R Haddon. S R Haddon. That it was like, uh, what what if Bill Gates went kind of crazy forty years from now? Like his thing was just sort of like, what if a guy had that much money and just sort of went off the reserve? Visually, it feels like he's very much modeled after Murdoch. I don't know if I'm just bringing that, and it's sort of like. No, the, the shiny head of it, but he just kept I bringing so. Murdoch for me. Uh, but but what he ends up being is sort of like this more genteel old man, uh, sort of a morally level version of Elon Musk. Like it does feel like this was very much predicting a sort of a, a type of figure that would come into culture of just like the guy who's like, I made a billion dollars, I'm going to solve shit myself. Working well, off and all his, his, all his hysteria, right? I mean, because remember, she's come into his um, one of his offices and he's seen her over the surveillance camera and he's kind of, he's made the, the that crack decision in that moment to give her the funding, right? That kind of extends her work in New Mexico for however long. So he, even though he's like a crackpot kind of eccentric, he sees something in her. He, he sees a thing that I'm talking about, about Jodie yeah. as an actress. He sees this spirit. He sees this conviction so that when there is this other huge trillion dollar machine that's going to send human beings to a completely different dimension to talk to aliens on a Pensacola beach, yeah. you know, he, he understands that her moral um, crackerjack compass is um, in the right place. You know, he's he he knows that and he can see he's a, he's more emotional than anyone in the White House, more emotional than anyone based in science. And he can identify her as the right candidate. And I love that that's his observation to this movie. He chooses her. Right, because he's also like, he's one of these like cowboy outlaw billionaires who's like, mm -hmm. I trust my gut. It's about like your gumption. And she's right. there making like her talking points to these committees and they find ways to discredit her because she's not doing 
the razzle-dazzle. She's not saying the thing she's supposed to say. And he recognizes the way she's saying it, like the moral <laughs> character and fortitude that it uh, belies. I mean, th- it's great that scene where she goes in and pitches to his company and she's kind of bombing the meeting because she's not like putting on the yeah. show enough. She's and not then you polished, see, right. right. Yeah. And then you see the camera pivot and then they get the phone call and they're like, uh, apparently you've gotten yourself a deal. Yeah, he says, you have the money. And then she looks at the camera. She says, thanks. Yeah, right. Which I love because that whole speech is like, yeah, nuts, right? Like, you know, airplanes, nuts. Yeah. Flying to the moon, nuts. Right. And I just, I love the way that she's, you know, suggesting that something that this crazy is actually a possible be something that we should do and that we should, you know, I mean, SETI search for extraterrestrial intelligence. That's right. They try and kind of make it cool, I guess, with like all those. I mean, I guess they don't try and make it cool. They kind of <laughs> cast like a weird misfit collection of people in her, you know, in the research facility near the dishes and stuff. But um, my other question is, that, I guess it's a two-prong thing. Just because she listens to a bunch of dishes does that make her a viable candidate to go through different dimensions and go space? I, I This is the thing. And yeah. don't you need to be put through like rigorous testing? Well, this is the thing though. The implications of this movie are crazy. So, and it's not like we haven't been talking about the entire movie, but the plot is essentially, she hears a signal and she works at the very, very large array, you know, and she sleeps with right. Matthew McConaughey back when she works at the RSC, but observatory. But, you know, she's searching for life. She hears the signal. shuts her thing down. She starts her own outlaw right, right, study right, group right. funded by this talk weird, about Right. A lot of talk about funding. Yes. So, so much funding. Lot, funding. The first so. chunk of the movie, there's a lot of it's funding It's a funding concerns. thriller. Yeah. She gets this signal from Vega, which is a, you know, real star in the sky. And eventually, first they decipher the Hitler that that's being bounced back at them, the, the 36 Olympics. Then they decipher this like code. And then with J- John Hurt's help, she kind of turns it into like a cube map for making a spaceship machine. Right? Right. Right. The aliens have given us blueprints to make something. We don't understand what it is or what it will do. Right. It becomes this question of should we follow these instructions? And the government's reaction is definitely concern and definitely bring in fucking McConaughey, you know, to to wear a scarf like and look at the whatever. But like in pretty quickly and this movie, which I like, kind of just makes time jumps without worrying about it. Like, yeah, at a certain point. Four years just, later. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty quickly, it's just like, yeah, whatever. Let's build it. I don't know. Yeah. And then like, and definitely is not like, yeah, we'll get our top astronaut on this. They're like, I don't know. Someone will sit in it, I guess, while we drop it into a wormhole. I guess that like when they're turning on the machine and it's going crazy and it's like flashing and then eventually it basically like pulls, you know, everything close. You know, there's that sort of shot of everything kind of stretching. Like, why is no one like, wait, is this just a fucking nuclear explosion? Like, is this just a weapon that's going to kill us? Why did we build this? Turn it off. Like, no one there is concerned. That's what I like about the movie. I mean, I... Right. Like, I... I grew up. She doesn't even wear a helmet, Griffin. No, she, wants she just less. wears this like. There's cool, no. There's no oxygen going into that fucking thing. She doesn't want to have a fucking thing. harness. Like she's like she take all of this stuff out of it. Yeah. She, she, she Let me stand. Even want a chair. I'll plant my feet firmly on the ground. <laughs> she doesn't want a chair. Like, don't give me. Handlebars. She really doesn't. She's like I don't. I don't want any fucking comfort on this journey. Okay. Both of my parents are dead. Right. And also, like, it wasn't in their fucking blueprints. And it's like the blueprints yes, right, from the right. people who sent us a fucking The blueprints speech. are literally just, it's just a person doing, like, a sort of Vitruvian man pose inside, yeah. like, a fucking, you know, 
cubic oh. zirconia and that's it yeah and it's like yeah drop it in well it will we'll handle the rest and everyone's like yeah i don't know we could spend a trillion dollars on this like that's fine like i i definitely i was a kid who fantasized about being an astronaut a thing that in retrospect seems absolutely bananas with my temperament but i was just like oh yeah that's like the ultimate job i would want to be like an astronaut like i was always fascinated by space travel and the idea of like searching for extraterrestrial life and stuff. But I always struggled with actual hard science. Like I've only ever been able to process science through fiction. Uh, I, I like flunked out of every science class I ever took. Um, but the idea of like I also was a kid where I didn't grow up atheist. But I think for a very early age I did not really buy into any organized religion. I think just out of the like. I don't like everyone telling me that this is what it is. I was right. very spiritual as a kid, but I was more sort of like abstractly curious about all of these things. And my, you know, I was the first kid. My parents, I think, tried more to raise, raise me with Judaism because I was the first strike by my sister. They barely gave a shit anymore. And it was just sort of like the perfunctory, like, uh, ceremonial aspects of things yeah, rather than any right. feel like deep investment in faith. Um, but watching this movie, it does like hit a lot of the pillars of what I sort of bounce in between where it's just like this idea of wanting to only believe in things that are absolutely based in fact that can be like quadruple verified and also needing to have some sort of willful naivete and optimism because the whole thing is like you know everything that doesn't make sense in this movie of like would they really hire this person to do that would they not is like all this clash and this contrast and even you get down to her character where she's like i'm a numbers gal it's just about numbers for me that's all i care Mm. about matthew mcconaughey i'm gonna fuck you one time because it's been six weeks i should probably Mm. fuck you one time Girls got to get it. But then like back to science. But fundamentally, the whole time she has to keep on believing that this pursuit is worthwhile without evidence. Like it takes so long in the movie and so long in her life for her to get any positive response for all the work that she's been putting into it. Well, there is this kind of really interesting moment when she gets to um, Vega and she sees David Moss on the beach and and she she kind of reacts as though she's in heaven. Yeah, which would imply right. that she believes in a god. She kind of believes that she's experiencing some kind of miracle. And there's a kind of very interesting little shift in her performance where she goes, "No, Occam's razor." She goes, "They don't want to scare me." Right, right. And you can you right. see that scientist click in. It's just there's a very interesting. It's a very subtle beat, and it's a very short little moment where she kind of goes, "Oh my god, I I, be- I believe," and then she's reminded, "No, science. Think think." Um, Occam's, you know that 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 bedrock of your whole belief, right. Occam's razor. That simplest thing has to be true, and science and math and numbers come in, and she suddenly she suddenly shifts, and she she knows she's not with her own father, which again, in a way, is a kind of loss for her. For a sec, she wants to believe that yeah. it's really him, and she goes, "Oh no, but I don't believe in that. I believe in num." But wouldn't it? There is that argument for a sec for her character. She goes, "Wouldn't it be nice if you just did believe?" <laughs> that you could believe it was actually your father, maybe? It's also, it's an aspect of the movie where I think Zemeckis uses an impressively light touch of just like, Morse is really effective in those opening scenes, so he makes the impact in your mind. He stays there as some sort of like emotional 
kind of like uh, center of the movie. And they don't underline this so much, but it does feel like subtextually, here's this girl who like lost her mother in childbirth, lost a father young. He raised her with this interest in space and the skies and this pursuit of like truth and knowledge and what could possibly be out there. And like to some degree, she is out there listening all the time because she wants to hear his voice. Like you Mm -hmm. get the sense that she would never admit it out loud. But her greatest belief is that somehow she could find some way to communicate with her father again, which goes against hard science, you know? And as you said, she gets not, that not moment. A, not, a, not if you've not if you've seen Frequency. That's the thing. Oh, she had sure. seen Frequency. She had seen Frequency. This character. You know, you can talk to your dead dad. Yeah. Well, what a potent mm-hmm. idea that movie is. <laughs> it was such a. We should do a Hoblet miniseries. Yeah. I had to. I, just, I had to look that up. I'm sorry to admit this, but I had to look up the director of Frequency. You had to look up Gregory Hoblet. You know what? <laughs> Hoblet. It would be fu- Primal Fear, Fallen, Hearts Fracture? War. You got a Colin Farrell in there, Fracture, which is, is that the one that's about, um, you know, uh, I killed my wife. Yeah. That's Hopkins and Gosling. And he goes, I killed Mm -hmm. my wife. I want you to get me off. I think. Oh, right. right. It's It's not, it's not the one that's about the jinx though. That's, that's a different, uh, no, that's all good things. Yeah, right, yeah, right. That's and right. then and then that's Untraceable, which is a a classic in the internet murder you know, much like fear.com or the net, you know, it's like, oh, the internet. What if there was a website called www.die.com? Oh, is that, uh, you know, is like, that the one where the poster is Diane Lane and then there's a, a point, a clicker on her mouse? Yes. Yes. A little, right. little That's mouse cool. cursor. Yeah. Let's do it. Unpodcastable. Anyway. Unpodcastable. Um, yes. No, I, the, 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 the unreality of the scene with her father is heartbreaking i would yeah. say like and also like mesmerizing and obviously it's incredibly exciting for her but it is it's the, i love the weird tragedy of like they're doing this to make her comfortable and it works but also like she has that moment but then you sort of like you know she moves her hands and you're like oh it's fake like you know i like that zemeckis mm, yeah. makes it look kind of like beyond real like Oh, right. Of course. Like this, there's no, she's, she was right all along. Like you said, Jamie, Occam's razor. This is science. This is like a hologram. And like, you know, she can barely understand it, but like, this is, this isn't. It's also fascinating that like at this point in his career, there's all this shit where like the waves are moving backwards. There's like the lighting doesn't match like where the source yeah, is for it's, like their it's brightly their lit. Faces. There is no sun. Yeah, right. That's right. Like he that's does right. all these things consciously to make it look unnatural, to create that unease. And it works. And then like within a decade, Zemeckis is like, look, look, it's photo real. I did it on my computer and it's photo real. And everyone's like, no way. This creeps me out. <laughs> like it's the opposite. I only realized this just this last time watching is that she she draws the beach in the beginning. Yes, that's uh, yeah. right. I, yeah. I, that, I didn't catch that until this last viewing, but right, I there, like little things like that. Yeah. There's a lot of Spielberg mm-hmm. nods in this. We're going to need a bigger antenna being one of them. It, it yes. feels um, very similar to the ending of AI for me too, which people misinterpret right. as like a happy ending where it's like, we've right. recreated a facsimile, a facsimile of your parent in order right. to make mm-hmm. you comfortable. But it's mm-hmm. all underlined with like the the sort of creepiness of, this well, is yeah. like programming. I, right. And AI AI is the best because it's like you're finally here and he's like 
And the alien's like, sure, I'm finally here. And he's like, great, I can die. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. And I want my mother to die with me. Like, here's the last DNA strain that exists of your mother on the continuum of time and space. We can pluck it and give you 24 hours. Um, but, but there's, there's the thing in this where like Morse is switching back and forth between like speaking in the voice of the alien collective and speaking in the voice of her dad. And he'll like say one thing that's sort of just like very objective about like, this is what you have to do. This is how we operate. Mm. And then he'll go like, Mm. you have your mother's eyes or whatever. And she's so good at playing the, like, I've waited my entire life to hear my dad say something like that again. But also this is really weird and creepy and not real this is like Mm. data telling them that they should say that that that's a thing my father would say in this simulation yeah i mean you know the other thing is is it does remind me a lot of silence of the lambs because so much of silence of the lambs is her flashback of her seeing her own father's funeral Mm. uh you know there's a i think a scene with her where her father kind of comes back from work it just feels so canon for jodie foster this kind of stuff she's just right on the money for me, like yeah. I, I, I've, I've, I never saw Maverick. I've never seen Maverick. I need to see Maverick. It's, right. it's a good there's, movie. There's a lot of her. There's a lot of her work that I actually haven't. Um, I didn't see Nell. There's a lot of her work that I haven't seen. But she's, th- she's right in the pocket with this stuff. Emotional um, loss. Uh, you know the conviction. This, this spirit. This, this sense of duty. I, I have to do this. I, I'm going to prove that I can do this. You know, I guess a lot of it is kind of metamorphosis. Much it sounds like Lambs is all about metamorphosis. This is kind of very similar. Mm-hmm. I have to do this thing, and I'm going to do it, and she does. Um, I, I find these scenes so effective, and when she does them, uh, you know, she, she's I, one of the best. I think you'd like Nell because it is kind of just that's just the Jodie Foster show for what you're talking right. about. Just absolute right. intensity and sincerity, and like very, you know, mm. it's not. Griff, have you seen Nell? I've never seen Nell. No, it's not a great movie. It's an interesting movie, but like, but she, you know, it's really, it's just all her. I want to tell you guys something in the book. Um, I've been sort of reading about uh, the the differences between the movie and the book. Um, Sr. Haddon doesn't get cancer. He goes into space orbit, fakes his death, is cryogenically frozen, and shoots himself into space, being like. When whenever the aliens come, they'll wake me up. Like he's even more bananas in the book. Wow. Essentially, uh, I just like that. Um, uh, what is there anything else major? I mean, this, we we did we we didn't we talked about this. The, look, the shot you can look at it on YouTube. It's great. We've talked about it in other episodes. The mirror shot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but it is a power. I love I love the use of it. I lo- you know like her her dad is dead. The world is backwards all of a sudden. Like, I think it's, I think it is the perfect kind of Zemeckis, like, bit of trickery, like, where he's sort of, like, showing off, but it it has an emotional purpose. Like, I, 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 I'll stick up for that shot any day. Yeah, it's week. also, like, you need that shot to be flashy in the same way that Jake Busey's uh, face is flashy because it, it is this thing that kind of drives the rest of her life in that problem-solving, that single-minded, like, I'm going to figure things out way where she's forever haunted by the idea of like, if I had also kept the pills downstairs, mm, yeah, we've made right, it in right, time. Right. Like it crystallizes those final seconds of that run to the cabinet of like, is mm. that the time that she lost that she could have used yeah. to save him? Yeah, because the priest outside of her house says, it's just kind of God's will, which is the beginning of her going, well, 
fuck that. That makes that. no sense to me. Right, I don't right, like yeah. that. That sucks, yeah. you know. And uh, she goes, she responds, which is like, well, actually, science would say if he just had the pills 10, 20 seconds, two minutes right. earlier, he would have survived. So it's, uh, it kind of sets that argument up really, really well. This is from that New York Times piece. So Mecca said, I was raised a Catholic on the south side of Chicago, and I felt I had a, to undo a lot of serious damage. But as I was getting older, I began coming off my absolutely young, arrogant, agnostic beliefs. I was thinking more about coming to terms with human spirituality, but without the judgments and indoctrination that come from being in the church. I've tried to come to peace with it, and it's no longer a demon in my life. Like, that's an interesting outlook for a guy making this movie mm. at that moment. Mm -hmm. Right. It's a movie that every time after I finish watching it, I go, you know what? Maybe I should be, maybe I should be a little bit more open to the idea of spir spirituality. Maybe I should be. It's so hard yes. not to give in to the romanticism of it. Like, right. whenever I do, I, I give into it in the most abstract way possible. Like, I start mm -hmm. just sort of spinning off into, like, different thoughts outside of what is commonly perpetuated. And they'll always come crashing back down to, like, but if that were the case, then why hasn't this happened? Why has this happened? Sure. Whatever. Yeah. I'll, like, back it up with, uh, you know, well-earned skepticism. Your cynical self comes yeah. out in the end. Yeah. yeah. But, but it yeah. is, like, I feel, I don't know, the things Zemeckis is talking about is that, like, sort of, as a child, it's easy to believe, especially if you're raised with it. As you start developing a slightly more adult brain in your teenage years, in your 20s, it's very easy to fact check it. And then I do think there's a point in like, you know, the later areas of your life where you come back around to it. And you're like, I just need fucking comfort now. Like I've spent so much mm. time being angry and trying to change everything around me. I would rather reinvest in the idea of something taking care of me. I don't see myself getting to that point, but it also, I don't know, it is compelling and it's like, it's such compelling territory to make a movie about. For all these sort of first contact movies, very few of them deal with that uh, tension because it is like, if aliens exist, why wouldn't we have heard from them by now? Isn't that as foolhardy as believing that God exists even though we haven't seen proof of him, you know, outside of potato chips or whatever you want to believe? I, I believe you're referring to the the Fermi paradox. Yes, I'm going to add a little bit of spice to the rest of this recording. Um, I have 16 percent bat. I have 16 percent of battery left. Ooh, um, and I can't plug it in because the mic is plugged into that. Oh, that that's that's fine. We 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 are almost done. I will say. Yeah, we have an interesting dilemma, guys. I, I've been looking at it incrementally as we've been going, <laughs> and uh, I figured 16 percent is a good time to tell you. I appreciate. No, it. that's fine. Can you can you like lower the brightness on your screen? To maybe I, oh, a little it, bit. Out, like, you're all I can, the way down. I can, okay. I can barely see. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I was as it's been going. I've been like twenty percent. Do I see it? But then, like you on twenty percent, we were talking about like really big themes. Yeah, right. Like, really right. intense right. personal we themes. I, was like, I can't, I can't interrupt him on all that. Up. So, but I thought sixteen is probably a good baseline to just kind of interrupt. Well, then, okay. So let's speed track. I feel like we've done a good job. No, actually, we've covering. done everything. Yeah. I was literally about to ask you guys, like, are there scenes that we haven't mentioned that you want to like bring up? Because I feel like I, we have talked about everything. There's just there's just one moment that I really love, which okay. is when McConaughey's on Larry. It's very quick when La La McConaughey's on Larry King. And he's saying how, you know, technology is isolating us, actually. Like, it does a lot of good, but, you know, at the end, it's kind of making us more alone, feeling emptier, and it kind of cuts to the earth. And as he's kind of pontificating about his own belief and how technology is ruining the world is actually when aliens 
are sending their signal and trying to communicate with us. We're just not listening. And I, I you know, and, and Jody kind of says, you know, in, in another scene that kind of echoes that, which is, um, well, they've been sending the signal for 26 years. Yeah. Yes. You right. know, we just, yes. we just haven't received it. We just haven't been listening. We just, haven't we just found never, it. right. Exactly. Yeah. And I love that. I just, I love the idea that. Right. Because that, that, that confirms the purpose of her work. Like, it's not just like, well, we didn't need SETI. Like they, they get in touch when they get in touch. No, like she had to be listening and scanning the sky and like, yes, desperately also, searching for, it, yeah. It gets back to the blind faith element of it, of like, in order to pursue this kind of work and to believe that you are capable of making sort of like ground breaking discoveries you have to believe there's something out there that just hasn't been noticed up until this point like that's the fermi paradox thing it's not that they haven't tried to contact us it's that no one's been able to hear it yet and that requires like a little bit of of willful naivete to believe in yourself faith take it on faith faith. that's the that's the ironic little twist at the end of the movie right Um, you know it's like she yeah before you run out of battery and because we have to do the box office game i just quickly wanted to do a little corner with you. Um, yeah, yeah. Because you were you were pushing very hard for Zemeckis. You and I were DMing back and forth when Zemeckis was starting to gain some steam in March Madness. A little, yeah, humble brag. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was fucking DMing with Tintin, baby. And, what up? And I said, like, is there one you'd want to do? And you said, Death Comes or Contact, two of my favorite movies. And we were never going to force mm-hmm. you to do one of them. But I was so fascinated because uh, you were in Tintin. You also worked on King Kong, where it has this big motion capture performance in it. You have experience with that stuff firsthand. And within, like, uh, you know, five years after this movie, Zemeckis is all in on motion capture, stuck there Mm. for a decade. And I feel like Tintin, for me, what makes that movie such a breakthrough in so many ways is that's, like, the first time where I think there are successfully naturalistic mocap performances so often the ones that work are actors like Andy Serkis, who had a really sort of facile understanding of theatricality and understanding what you needed to push through in order to have those performances registered. When you get to the Zemeckis movies, it's the dead-eyed zombie animatronic thing. But Tintin is a very low-key character. He is like a thoughtful, you know, sort of like reserved uh, reactionary character in a lot of ways. And yet that feels like a full-bodied performance to me in a way that none of the Zemeckis movies were able to do. Did you find, was the technology just at a point where it was able to pick up on that? Or was there anything you had to adjust in your technique to figure out how to make that work? I mean, it's hard to say because... You know, what Andy did with Peter on all those um, Rings movies was extraordinary. And that... I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that predates all of Zemeckis' mocap stuff, right? It does, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So so to me, it's kind of, I mean, I know that Gollum isn't necessarily lifelike and he is more, much kind of much more of a creature than anything else. So you can kind of do a little bit more in terms of the design of the character, you're taking away from a human and turning it into something different. Um, whereas a lot of Zemeckis' stuff is very much trying to get as close to a photorealistic human as you possibly can. So that, separates it a little bit but also when i did tintin and worked with all um you know the the mocap guys and stuff they were always kind of like you know this technology is going to change next week yeah it's going to change on the next film it's going to change by the time you know cameron gets his hands on it again it's going to change by the next apes movie so 
if I went and saw like what they're doing on Avatar down in New Zealand, right, I, I wouldn't even know what that was because it doesn't look anything like what we were doing on Tintin. So it's such a technology that has advanced and changed so quickly um, that it, it, it really, it, for me, I think it comes down to the technology because I think the performers are always, you're always trying to do honest stuff. You're always trying to... Um, get to the truth. And, and certainly with mocap, you have to push through the technology. Like that was one thing that Andy always taught me and, and, and told me was you have to kind of articulate a little bit more, like really try and get through the, um, through the technology. And we would have panels of, you know, the Tintin panels all over the, the, the mocap stage. So, so, so I think, um, I think it's just more the technology catching up. Like I'd be interested to see if he did it now. If you know, if if some of those movies would have been more successful in terms of the rendering and how yeah, we kind of view right. those characters, I just I think maybe that would be different because there's no question Jim Carrey can push through the technology. Right, that's not a problem of the actor. It must be more of the of the rendering and the the technology that they had um, at right. their hands at, at their the time. Fingertips, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, Tintin two, please. Sorry, Tintin I know please. I've asked for Tintin two. I know. I know. If only. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's always something they've always talked about, you know, but nothing right. concrete. It's on also, that. I mean, the beauty of motion capture, you could do it 30 years from now. You don't, you can't I mean, I, age out of playing Tintin. I don't want to be playing Tintin as a 60 year old, to be honest. But, I don't know. <laughs> but it, okay, Maybe you 15 should. years. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would do it. Um, I mean, it's great. Let's play so the box office game. Box office please. game. Um, yes, please. Jamie, you alluded to. Contact going up against. I know. I hope I didn't blow it. No, no so it's it, you know. So it opens number two. But it's on the Fourth of July movie, right? Whatever opened the Fourth of July correct, is still number correct. one. So con- but contact opens to twenty million. It makes a hundred domestic, about one hundred and sixty worldwide. So yeah, that's like, good. That's big good legs. Big yeah. legs. Yeah. Um, and it holds like a twenty-two percent hold next week. But what's number one, Griffin? Men in Black. Fourth of July, ninety-seven. Men in Black. Big Willy weekend. That's right. That's right. His second Fourth uh, of July course, home run in a row. The definitive New York '90s movie, one of the greatest yep. films ever made, Men in Black. Uh, number three is a big action movie, two stars. Also a great film. I mean, also just a great '90s action movie. Hmm. I was going to guess Conspiracy Theory, but then no, I no, don't great. think you would call that a great film, right? Great movie. '97, two big stars. Great. Two male, male two and female stars. Two male nope. stars, ninety seven. It's in, and I would movie. say this is my new favorite thing. Is a new my a genre I love. Ham war. You got two kinds of ham going up against each other. Oh boy! Because I, I I, I posit off? that it's face off. It's, it's face off. The, the ultimate Travolta ham war. Right. It's yes. it's the, prosciutto versus like uh, I don't know. Honey baked. I don't know. Black Forest. Yeah, Cage is I, I, honey there's baked. There's a lot, right? Yeah. yeah Cage, is, Cage is honey baked. I don't know yeah. what Travolta is. Travolta is something weird. He's like deli meat. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Cage, anyway. Travolta's boar's head. <laughs> uh, face off. Jamie, face off. Are you a fan of face off? You want to take Absolutely. I mean, I've off? only seen yeah. it once, but it, it was, it's terrifying as a child. Oh. It is terrifying well, I like as a child. It. Yeah. The, the, it's terrifying. The, yeah. Especially when he has no face. Um, yeah. Well, there's a lot of uneasy stuff. Is Dominic Swain in that? Yes. Uh, yeah, no, there's no. There's a lot all, of all the family stuff, stuff is really creepy. Yes. It got yeah, magnet yeah. prison. I mean, some some of the scariest concepts in all of film. Right. <laughs> all right. Number four, Disney movie. Number four, Disney movie would be Hercules. That's right. There you go. Nailed it. I've said this before uh, on the show. At the time I walked out of Hercules, I turned to my dad. I said, that's tied. 
it is tied with Toy Story for the best movie I've ever seen. And it is Jesus. wild that I still think Toy Story is about as good a movie I've ever seen. And I don't even like Hercules anymore. <laughs> like, I just, I've, I've twice in the last 10 years rewatched it and gone like, yeah, not for me. I, I'm excited to rewatch good Hercules. Movie. I haven't seen yeah. it in years. Yeah, I remember liking Hercules. I would love to have a reason uh, to rewatch Hercules. Wait, James Woods. No? Oh, yeah. Isn't he God. one of the voices of Hercules? Woods. That's it right. It might be my favorite yeah. Woods performance. I have to say, that's the one thing that holds up perfectly for me. <laughs> favorite woods come on there's too many options come on they could i could talk all day his hair is fire it is it's very cool very cool number five yeah rom-com big movie my uh, best friend's wedding another yeah all right well you got it there you go i remember 97 it was a big year i I was activated i I was reading entertainment some other movies yeah yeah good here's the thing cage con air is number eight so cage has two movies My God. Uh, which is huge. And then you've also got uh, Batman and Robin and the Lost World Jurassic Park. So you've wow. got these two giant, you know, sequels. Yeah. One of which is underperforming, one of which is not. But then also Out to Sea, you know, the Jack Lemon, Lemon and Matthau. Walter Matthau. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is number six is just sort of hanging out. That was out. I don't know. It's there's there's like, some weird it's like shit. Peak Hollywood. Like peak, like we figured out this machinery. It's just humming along. Because, yeah, Jesus, you got Speed 2, Liar, Liar, Austin Powers. Liar, but also, look, look at the money on Liar, Liar. Oh, look right. how much money huge, that made. Wow. Huge. And, Jamie, tell me how many weeks Liar, Liar has been in the box office. How, what, what week of release oh, this is? Oh, is, is it like, we in 10? April 17. Week wow. 17. What? Holy shit. And it's and still what, making it's a million gross bucks. Is what? It's, is it like I mean, 180? It's, it's final gross is 181. Wow. Made 300 Whoa. worldwide in 1997. He can't lie. You he just, doesn't lie, that guy. You, you look at this and you have like, you have star vehicles, you have franchises, you know, you have, you have high concept films, action you have films. Right. You have you every have a, genre. Guys, 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 remember movies? Oh, the oh, movies. I miss them. God, the I miss them so does. bad. Jamie. Fuck Hasn't this year just fucking sucked? It fucking <laughs> sucks. Also, we don't even fucking know who's president. I know. Do you know what I mean? Fuck, this is a yep, What's your battery at, well, Jamie? When I, when I pull up Deadline and it says, like, shocker, Amblin film overperforms with $3 million weekend. And I go, what is this movie? I've never heard about it. Just by process right, of elimination right. because it's on 20 drive-in screens. It's the number one yeah. movie in America. Oh, boy. Oh, uh, Jamie, what's your battery at? Nine uh, percent. We could talk right. about Mank for a sec. We could talk about Mank oh. for a sec. Have you guys seen Mank yet? Yeah, I've seen Mank. Mank Have you seen Mank? We- yeah, yeah. You seen Mank? Mank? Oh my god! Yeah, Mank. Yeah. How good is yeah. Mank? Jamie, I- I'm going to DM you. I have a lot to say about Mank. I'm very okay, excited good, about good, Mank. Good, 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 good. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's been such a bad. I mean, that's era. basically it's- the only thing that we have to look forward to. Is yeah, Mank. kind of right. Basically, kind of. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> You're flying out to film a movie tomorrow on election day. Can you you say what the movie is? I'm curious just what it feels like. Is this is the first thing you've done since the pandemic started? Since since lockdown, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I did some reshoot. I did a, um, I'm in a a Tom Clancy film with Michael B. Jordan that we did some. Uh, I'm very excited for that movie. FYI. Please. Uh, Without remorse. uh, 
I did some reshoots on over, <laughs> you know, during lockdown, um, okay. which was okay. scary and everything because, you know, the yeah. masks and the, the whole COVID protocols and everything. Um, so, the, but this will be the first one that I'm starting since lockdown. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's, it's great. It's, it's insane. I mean, nothing will be the same for, for an actor. I mean, you know, you're kind of, the, the the distancing the test the rigorous testing every week the you know the distance from your director the you know just the distance mm. with the, you know a, a film you know like film sets are places that are communal they are places where you stand in close proximity and you huddle together and you speak and you complain yeah. and um yeah, and that is just gone because there's a guy in a blue jacket that just keeps coming around going too close too close for too long so go away wow. do you find um, like especially having done reshoots for something that you originally shot pre-pandemic, did it change your process at all? Like, do you find yourselves having, do you find yourself having to adjust anything and your creative sort of workflow as an actor to overcome the weirdness of it? Or is there anything you feel like you need to replace when the sort of communal collaborative aspect of it is a little more distant? I, I mean, because with the, with the Clancy thing, it's you know you're there's we're wearing you know military gear and helmets and carry, you know so you're and, and headsets, so you're already kind of like at a disadvantage because you can't hear anything anyway. Mm-hmm. But then you throw people in ma- in people in masks, kind of trying to it's it's just kind of it, it makes it impossible. So I mean, it doesn't really change any process necessarily. It's just it's just sad because you know. Um, I have a lot of fun on film sets. I grew up on film sets. I love making movies. Um, I love the energy of film sets. I love the talent and the craft that people bring every day to their jobs. And 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 having it so compartmentalized where people in zone A can't go in zone B, you know, it just it creates an atmosphere that isn't, it's not the same. And I know that we have to do this for people's safety and everything, and it's the right thing to do, but it's just... Um, yeah, it's a process of readjustment, I suppose. There are also, right. I mean, look, there are a ton of reasons to want to work in movies, but for movie nerds like ourselves, ultimately yeah. it's like you want to sit next to John Hurt on a park bench while he chain smokes cigarettes and tells you about his entire career. Like, that's like yeah. the best shit about working in movies, especially exactly. when you remove the final product from the equation, which you can't really control. And I just feel like, I don't know. I'm too neurotic to try to do anything during this. Uh, but oh no, I'm new. I'm neurotic. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> Believe I also, me. <laughs> yeah, there's also a lot less demand for me to do things than there is for you. Uh, I'm gonna be in like helmets and g- goggles sure. and gloves. I'm gonna look like a freak tomorrow on the planet. I'm gonna make all my family look like a freak too. I just think. I mean, it's what you said. It's I'm gonna feel very sad. The first time I'm back on a set, or even if it's post-vaccine, there are just more protocols in place. And it's harder to just casually walk up to whatever great character actor and just like try to get them spewing stories about everything. It's saying that if I it's saying that my battery's gonna go into sleep. Wow. So I'm nervous. Okay. I wanna like somehow like stop the record like at least make sure that I save the the recording. recording. Um, can Can I press stop? Uh, send your final message. Save, save send your it, final message it. that will be carried throughout the cosmos before go you vote. stop. Well, it's pointless. I was going to say go vote, but it's <laughs> fucking pointless because they've already voted. Goodbye, Jamie. He served us valiantly. That was a great app. I'm so glad we finally got him on. It's been such a long time coming. All right. So, guys, are you ready to get started? Oh, no. <laughs> what? What's up? <laughs> Look at his background. Should we? Should ben, we... Are you in. Are you in a wormhole, Ben? Where, wait, where's Jamie? 
Ben, we ben, finished the episode. What? James just left. Ben, what are you talking did, about? It felt like we, just seconds. We recorded for two hours. Oh my yeah, we did, god! Yeah, we did about a gentleman's two. Maybe just a little longer. That's crazy. God, I forgot to tell Jamie that the Yancey Street gang says hello. Damn it. Oh, fuck. That would have been so funny. That That would have been so funny. Fucking funny. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, also, Ben, why are you in a dodecahedron? Is that your new, like, studio or, like, your new recording oh, equipment he's still in the wormhole <laughs> yeah. no he's but he, he's inside a dodecahedron all right i don't David, know i don't know what that is yeah define <laughs> dodecahedron for us it's brain. a 12-sided structure oh boy um <laughs> wait a second this is weird yep What's i just up? got jamie's audio file in the dropbox and we recorded under two hours around two hours around two hours this, right this says his file is 18 hours long. <laughs> oh my God. Why is it called Manifesto? Fuck, do we release this? Could, <laughs> could the public handle this? I mean, they seem to have responded to like lower fi audio pretty well. I think they're going to oh, love they static. Loved it. They, <laughs> they loved it. They, I, they're obsessed with that. They love it. Look, I'm so glad that people have been big fans of our two big bits this miniseries. One, leaving in bathroom breaks. And two, <laughs> me sabotaging my own audio record. They were ambitious. We did their big swings. We didn't oh, know if people would like them. The bathroom thing was think, next level. And I was going to say, credit to us that they're like... I so I thought it was going to be a bit when there's just thirty second pause while there's a bathroom break, but then nothing. It wasn't addressed. But is that the bit? Like people were just like, Hodgman. Hodgman called me and he was like, "I'm sorry, I needed to call to discuss this." I listened to it three times to try to parse out what the bit was, and then I got it. You guys are the Andy Kaufman of podcasting. I really appreciate it. And I was like, John. We forgot to cut it out. <laughs> but he came to me and he was like, I see it. I see brilliant, the artistry brilliant. of what you did. It took several times. Uh, uh, that was anyway, anyway, we're done. Griffin, please wrap us up. We're done. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed this crispy, clean audio. I apologize for the last two episodes. There's one more that might be affected, but hopefully not. Um, it's good. Ben says it's good. We've come up with a solution. Great. Okay. Oh, okay great. So then... Apologies for the two episodes in which I fucked up and had my input set incorrectly. We were recording. We did like five episodes in six days. That's the other thing. Yeah, it was, was a, it like was a weird rush. Yeah, yeah. Well, because Griffin, so there was a rush. You, you know, you we went out. We did our drive-in thing, which we did is it, due right. next month. Yes. Really excited yeah. about that on Patreon, where we like kind of just captured a bunch of field audio. Right. But I forgot to reset the inputs after that, and it was yeah. like we recorded like four consecutive nights in a row. Um, I apologize. I'll say this. I guarantee you, however frustrated you felt listening to it, I feel more frustrated about Ed doing it. <laughs> I yes. assure you. Um, but that's that was our episode with 1010. Uh it's, it's fucking wild that he listens to our show, right? Uh insane. I know Completely I know insane. I've been saying that a lot this miniseries and we'll continue to say it on future episodes of the miniseries, but it just it it is very uh it's very bizarre. It's wild and delightful. A lovely man. Such a it's such a big fan of his. Lovely man. Yes. But it's also I just do I zoom out and I'm like I do I do strongly believe he's one of the best actors of his generation. Oh, he rules. And yeah. I think he has kind of a perfect career in that he was like it's it's kind of stunning, especially like compared to Jodie Foster, how he is similarly transcended past a child career, especially one where he had such a big role at such a big 
young age where he's the title character and has gone on to work with so many I, I, I don't incredible disagree people with you. in different genres. He's worked with great directors. Right. But yeah. but like, you know, come on, this is his episode. Let's not let's not embarrass him here, like gushing about him. Okay, fine. I'll stop. I guess he'll never listen to this shit. one though. He's a piece of shit. He's an overrated <laughs> hack. Tintin blows. Oh boy. No, it's, it's for losers. losers. You Tintin's couldn't for even losers say that with babies. a straight face. I can't even say it. I'm crying. I'm crying. Tintin's Tintin one of my rules. best movie friends. He rules. He's got a nose for a great story, and he loves adventure. He's one of my best friends. He rules. He's got a white dog, and his his best friend is a drunken Milu! sea captain. AKA Snowy. I mean, uh, talk about squad goals. All I need in life, my little white dog and my drunken sea captain. I'm a boy reporter. Sign me up for adventure. Thank you all for all right. listening. Yep. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Uh, thanks to Andrew Figueroa for social media, Joe Bowen, and Pat Reynolds for our artwork, Lane Montgomery for our theme song. Uh, go to our Shopify page for some real nerdy merch. And go to blankies.rad.com for some real nerdy shit. And go to patreon.com slash blank check for blank check special features. We're around in the corner on the Alien franchise starting to get into those big questions of uh, God uh, and space. Uh, A la Ridley Scott. Um, Tune in next week for What Lies Beneath, right? Uh, yeah. Three year gap, then two movies in the same year. I always forget right? which goes yeah, first. Yeah. Yes. It, no, yeah. Next is What Lies Beneath. Yes. Yeah. So tune in next week for What Lies Beneath with Starly Kine. Starly Kine, our very special guest yes. on What Lies Beneath. Um, and look, what else is there to say? But, uh, and as always, Jake Busey's a dang ass freak. Yeah. <laughs>